JMV here with Brian Kahn from Floors to Your Home. Fans, if you're shopping for flooring of any kind, you need to check these guys out. You're going to have the most incredible, totally hassle-free shopping experience ever. JMV, we really appreciate you saying that. That's our goal every day, to offer our customers a quick, easy, and hassle-free experience at all of our Floors to Your Home locations. Fans, it works like this. You see the product you like. It's going to be cheaper than anywhere else. That's for sure. Then you can immediately take it home with you or have it installed. That's right. No hassle, no special order. Just see it, buy it, and take it home, or have it installed. Like three rooms of hardwood, laminate, or waterproof flooring starting at just 349 and they have everything in stock. I'm doing my whole house, and believe me, this is the best shopping experience you'll ever have. Three convenient locations, Avon, Noblesville, and Brookville Road. Who gives the quickest, easiest, and most hassle-free buying experience? Floors to your home. That's who. What in the hell do you think you are doing? Hey, John Boy. I'm telling you straight, it's my way or the highway. So anybody wants to walk, do it now. Hey, everybody, we're all going to get laid. And again, it's picked up. It's Darius Leonard. A pick six for the Maniac. Touchdown, I-N-D-Y. Yes, sir. Oh, oh the chicken. Double time. Miles Turner. Yeah. John, I have never been better to be on the air with you here in Indianapolis, a place where so many of my dreams have come true. The Ride with JMV on 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. Oh, busy show. What a glorious day it is outside. You know, you got to soak this stuff up, too. That doesn't mean that you decide to say, I'm going to go outside. I'm not going to take the show with me. You take the show with you. Go outside. But you have to take advantage of it because it will, like this, be few and far between basically for the next three and a half, four months. So, yes, yeah, soak it up, but make sure sure that wherever you go outside to do just that you take us with you busy show coming up i'll get into it who's going to join us what we're going to talk about preparation for the colts on the road in germany coming up on sunday morning sunday morning by the way at 6 30 a.m 6 30 a.m for the colts pre-game huddle then you'll be up be ready to go Get you set for that matchup with the Patriots in Frankfurt, Germany. All right, last night, big deal, right? The Spurs in town. And, you know, I I tell you all the time, not all of you, but a lot of you have completely forgotten, or maybe you're at such a young age, you haven't been taught the way that you should, um, what it's really supposed to be like. You know, how you're really supposed to win games, how you, that's what it's all about. And so many of you, especially the younger generation, you haven't been able to soak much of that up because it's been few and far between. Like the days I talked about here in November, few and far between the consistency of winning. Now, yesterday I started the show and I came out of the gate after I talked about the Colts and there went over the Panthers and I said, hey, Pacers, if you're going to hijack 30 minutes of my time, let's give a consistent performance here. Granted, Cleveland Friday night, fantastic. If you're going to take away 30 minutes of my time and then back it up with a game like that, then so be it. But you go back to the Chicago game, and I don't want stuff like that. 
And obviously on Saturday, it didn't follow me up, but you don't want a finish like that against Charlotte. I want to see them take advantage of every single opportunity. I had somebody that sent me something yesterday saying, hey, uh, here you go again. You're making something out of nothing. It's only like game seven or whatever. And I don't care. I don't care. And I think that is also a point where some out there you've completely forgotten about you know, just winning and winning consistently. It's one thing to talk about a team in terms of expectations, raising the bar on that from where it was with 35 wins a year ago to actually getting there, to deserve getting there. And I don't care where it is at the schedule. I don't care if you win in October or if you win in January or if it's in March, whatever. As long as you do it. So there was that yesterday. Ah, you know what? You're blowing your stack, which I wasn't. I was just saying, hey, consistent performances here. Let's start getting this going. Yeah, for example, I brought up Obi Toppin yesterday. Let's get going here. You know, don't grab some bench when it's time to play a little bit of defense and you haven't done that in your career. Uh, I want to see you be able to stay out there. You make something out of this. And it's been up and down with Bruce Brown so far. Oh, as far as, you know, one night, 27 points, shooting it nice, and the other night you score seven, and you're a non-factor. More consistency. And that means everybody. That meant Miles, Tyrese Halliburton, and his consistency is different. His consistency is we know what he can be, and we know what he has done. He has put up incredible numbers so far. I think really double-doubles up until last night, right? In the category of assists, I mean, impressive. But when you raise those those bars of expectations, he's part of that too, individually. And you, you don't want to see him dribble out the clock or lose the ball to LaMelo ball at the end of a game, a home game against Charlotte. And again, I don't care what, what time of year that it is. I don't care. Not whatsoever. So last night, I was talking about that leading up. And everybody was focused in on Victor Wembanyama, and that's fine. He is phenomenal in terms of the NBA media crush. He's got a 30-plus point game against Phoenix last week, 19 years old. And I hate using this term, and everybody says that now. I'm just going to go ahead and stand in line, I guess. But he is a unicorn. (laughs) Make myself vomit even saying it. Next thing I'm going to say is narrative and make everybody out there sick. The unicorn narrative and the Mount Rushmore of everybody out there listening to this show will know that I'll be vomiting here shortly. But I understand that everybody wanted to see that. You know, everybody was interested in it. And then, like the Pacers team that I want to see did, they came out of the gate and they really left no doubt throughout. After that first haymaker and the first that they threw, yeah, the Spurs didn't have much. And I'm not suggesting the Spurs are the Warriors or the Celtics, which, by the way, lost last night, too. Or any of those upper echelon teams. They get Philly twice next week. And Philly, um, I'm going to have to go ahead and probably shut my Twitter off for that. But I'm not suggesting that San Antonio is any of that. But... 
I didn't really care as much about Wimbayama and what he looks like and getting to see that and being excited as I wanted to see the Pacers take advantage of the schedule and a game at home when they can. And the Spurs played Sunday afternoon, came in here, got ready, and the Pacers did what I want to see the Pacers do. They leave no doubt. But just like I mentioned to you a little bit earlier, I think some of you have forgotten about consistent winning, you know, and following a winner, you know, being able to talk about on a daily basis the winning. We have been so used to lowering the bar around here. It was, well, it's this time of year, or here's the reason why, and a myriad of excuses are thrown at it, like yesterday. And then here was the other tell last night. It was the overall game that you got from Wembenyama. And then compound that with the amount of minutes that he played and his only visit here to Indianapolis. And I got a lot of, oh, I was so disappointed. He didn't play well and he didn't get to see him very much. And you know, I kind of like was Popeye a little bit. I, I, I've had all I can stand and I, I can't stand no more. Good. Good. I'm glad that he came in here. I'm glad that his numbers sucked. And I'm glad that he didn't play a lot. Why? Because that means the team that you follow in your market, they were doing a number on him and on them. That's good. That's what you look for. That's what you want. One of these days, you will completely forget about who's coming in, and you'll be more focused on who you're watching on the home team day in and day out when they play at Gamebridge Fieldhouse. That's exactly what I'm looking for. That game last night went exactly the way that I wanted it to go. And really, how I tried to explain it to you yesterday. We have just kind of lost our sense of of true winning and winning consistently and having a good team and a good organization. And I don't blame you because there's a lot of time to be lost in the wilderness with that because, frankly, these organizations haven't been. You know, that part's too bad. It's funny. I, I get more feedback from those that struggle with Valley Sports Indiana and the app than I do when the Pacers actually play well, and that is a product of consistent losing. It feels more appropriate to you. You're more inspired to complain about what they don't do because you have become so used to it, and that has been the pothole in which the Colts have fallen into. You don't really get a chance to say, like yesterday, hey, you know what, they won, but yeah, they played Carolina. You don't even get a chance to really really celebrate it too much. I think Dabo Sweeney said something just like this last week. Now, that's on a different end of the spectrum because Clemson's had so high level of results, and then when you don't, up until this weekend against Notre Dame, uh, when you don't, they enter that game at 4-4, four and four, then you're thinking, all right, well, this fan base is just spoiled. And that's what people said about the Colts and still say about the Colts all the time. And I have to remind people that there is nothing more inaccurate than that. There is no spoiled fan base. No, this fan base was told upon starting out during the Manning era is this is what 
you've come and should come to expect. This is what we're going to be. And for all those years, they were. And then you went into the luck era, and oh, so incredibly lucky. And uh, Colts fans have to be spoiled. How can you go from one to the other? Again, we were told to expect that level of greatness. So it's okay when you're told to expect that, to expect it. Now, granted, we've been told a lot over the past couple of years that nobody's backed that up. And again, that's why I'm here trying to help you understand that when you get past all this, I'm more thrilled with seeing this. And I know it was the first time. This is different than seeing, you know, your average Western Conference star that's been here five, six, seven times already. It was the first time for everybody around here. And I do understand that. But again, after the game yesterday, you lose sight on what should be important around here by saying you wanted to see the 19-year-old more and you're disappointed in his output. I'm not disappointed in his output. I am happy that the Pacers did that to him. I'm happy that the Pacers put him in that situation. Whether he was just tired from playing yet, I don't care. Hey, put that star up on the dry erase board next to defense of a rookie that is really good and one of these days is going to be among the best, if not the best. Already has a 30-plus point game last week and his young 19-year-old rookie career. And this is what the Pacer defense did to him and this team. Yeah, it's not, well, I was so bummed because he didn't play late in the game. No, that's exactly what you wanted as a Pacer fan. You don't want to see him participate late because that means what you're doing is getting the job done. That's where you want to be. That is the consistency that you look for on the floor and the consistency that you look for among yourselves out there that are fans of these teams. Oh, by the way, you just expect that. And it's another one of those signs that you will know around here when it's back. And it's yet another sign that you know around here that will define to you that it's clearly not yet. But that's what I noticed more than anything else. I noticed the team that got up and down the floor and put the absolute hammer down. I don't know if you're mad about what took place against the Hornets on Saturday. I hope so. I don't know if it was inspiration about getting their head coach, NBA win number 900. All that's fine with me. All that celebration after the game is fine with me. But that was the reason. Not the disappointment that when Bayama didn't play late. It's what your team did to dictate those circumstances. That's what's good. And we will be monitoring this as we move forward. And then once we stop having to come up with these sort of arguments to start a show or, you know, in the midst of a show, whatever. And really, this also falls in the lap of IU. IU basketball can be viewed this way. And I guess Purdue basketball in terms of the NCAA tournament can be viewed this way. That's how you're going to know. That's how you're going to feel it. The consistency is back. And granted, I understand why you are where where you are right now. I mean, you've been forced into this category by a lot of losing, a lot of bad decisions, a lot of bad play. 
A lot of unfollowed up promises, all of that. I just thought last night, last night was one of the, at least for the arguments I make on here all the time about trying to get back to X level, for example. I thought last night was a tremendous argument about that. And it seemed like everybody that went enjoyed themselves, and that's good because the home team, again, left no doubt. It's exactly what you're looking for. If you guys want to hit that, the experience last night, Rick Carlisle, number 900. We can certainly talk about that with you. Colts again. Uh, some days off, some walkthroughs, and then they bail coming up on Thursday for that Sunday morning encounter in Frankfurt, Germany. How many of you out there are going, actually? A large number. What did they get? 4,500 tickets, I think, initially. I think I said this yesterday. Going back to, to London, when they were in London... It seemed like I saw all of you guys over there. I had a great time. Yeah, this one, not so much. And again, I understand why. You go second week of November, uh, Germany. You kind of look at the weather and kind of wonder about the weather a little bit, but also because of the team. Because of the team that you expected. I don't know if it would have been more popular had you know some wins been, been cultivated instead of losses. That Cleveland game stands out. You know, games that you could have won that you didn't. Rams game as well. But you got a Sunday morning encounter in Frankfurt, Germany with the Colts and the Patriots. And I was kind of thinking about this a little bit earlier today, too, in, in terms of what a 2-7 and seven team like New England can do. They have looked absolutely awful. You know, I don't know if Bill Belichick is going to be done after this year, if he's going to be done with football together, done in New England, maybe going someplace else. But it seems like right now they are walking that particular path to ultimately making a change. That's the way that it seems. So if you're a Colts fan, you can feel good that this team help. I don't know if it's going to expedite the process at all. It seems like the wheels are already in motion, but you can be a part of that. And what you don't want to be a part of is to have a team go over there coming off a win, Carolina or not. Go over there and lose to a team like New England and then take that flight back, have a bye week to sit and simmer and then get the Buccaneers here after the bye week. Now, just take advantage of this. Make it interesting. I, I know that, too, when you look at the Colts, when I compare the Colts to the Pacers, the expectations are different. Expectations of starting the season are different. But when you look at the schedule and look at the Colts, you look at the missed opportunities, but you also are able to view what is still ahead and say, hey, you know, give yourself at least a puncher's chance. And whether or not we were digging on the offense, and I'm sure we weren't on Sunday, at least they didn't turn it over. The turnovers, when you look back, have been huge in terms of winning and losing. And listen, I stepped up after that Cleveland game, and I blamed it firmly on the officials. A lot of people laughed at me, whatever. But the common theme with most of these losses have been excessive turnovers. And even with that offense not playing well whatsoever, having the run taken away, I saw some of the PFF numbers regarding the offensive linemen. And I've always said to you this, too. You look at the PFF numbers, and if they support your favorite team, you believe in them fully. You go, oh, yeah, these guys are absolutely genius. Exactly right. 
That's my team. That's my player. And look what these numbers equate to. Exactly right. The analytics future. Now, if it explains to you how bad by the numbers, for example, Quentin Nelson may have played, that is something you're not going to like. That is when our good friends at PFF are in their parents' basement eating meatloaf and playing video games and watching porno flicks and diddling and daddling with themselves. That's what they're doing. <laughs> if you don't agree with the numbers. So I've always I've always kind of taken this tact. Um, I, I do. I still will watch it more and get my evaluation from watching it more so than I do digest the numbers that are given to us. And and part of that is my fault because simply put, I think math sucks. So yeah, I'm not going to say, hey, yeah, you know what? That math is fun. <laughs> Let's do some math and figure out what we really saw. That is something that I'm never going to say. But I am open to listening to the discussion and still want to know as to why the Colts were so unable to run the football and how much of that had to do. We had a caller yesterday that asked about the offensive line, and I said, well, the entire offense wasn't great. And then you go back and you look at the PFF numbers for the offensive line, and those are pretty bad. Again, if you don't like what PFF has to say because you're a Colts fan, then you view it completely differently than you do if they gave you numbers and you're excited because they're talking good about your team. And I'm sure a lot of you, you guys follow us, you follow you know this station, there are a lot of podcasters out. I mean, everybody's got their own thing going right now. There's always a difference, too. It's kind of funny. You get the guys that are just kind of starting out doing this or maybe have done podcasts in a while, and they're really hesitant initially to criticize, right? But when they get mad about it, they're going to be as critical as anybody. But initially, it's always kind of a hesitation for them, especially if you're getting something started. And believe me, I understand. We've all been there starting out. I just can't remember mine because it was decades ago. This is always a big difference. When you're first starting out, you're a little bit more lenient than you might be. Like if you're me right now, you're going, all right, well, you're going to take 30 minutes away. Then you're going to come out and play like you did against Chicago at the end of that game. Come on. And then I'm going to ask for for some consistency. All right, because it's not like one of these seasons where you say, well, Rick Carlisle came on your show and said they may not be that good, so it's going to take time and have patience. Ew, patience are over now. Let's get to winning. I'm not suggesting you're going to win the East. I'm not suggesting you're going to win your division. I'm not suggesting you're going to be a top five seed in the Eastern Conference, but I want to see some winning. I want to see a corner turn. I thought last night, last night was really good, even if it wasn't really good for what you actually wanted to see. And feel good. That's why you have me here. I have you here. The benefit of my so-called wisdom to explain to you what you actually want to see. There's going to be plenty of time over your life to get all excited about Victor Wimbayama. When that dude comes here, I don't care if he's 19 or 29 or 39, you want to see him get his ass whipped. He put up a double-double. It was a struggle. His team got their ass whipped. 
That's why you want to go. That's what makes you a Pacers fan. IU Florida Gulf Coast coming up later on tonight. We'll talk a little bit about that. Boy, the Makers a winner. Michigan State upset by James Madison. Everybody's making something about that here in the early season. A lot more college hoop coming up later on tonight. We'll certainly jump into that a little bit later on. Our location later on this week, too. And a shout-out to uh, Jeff and Richard and the gang and Amber up at Ford's Garage. I did not have the JMV Jiffy Burger. The Jiffy Burger has peanut butter. I, You know me. Like I always think, and I don't even know if this is true, I know that it's leaner. It's leaner meat. I, <laughs> stop giggling. But I love bison. So I was up there a little bit earlier today in Noblesville, and I went with the bison. So I had, James, I had a bison burger and green beans. Do I sound like a hillbilly? Maybe a little bit. <laughs> I had, a, I had a bison burger. It was like a double take, too. Green beans? Yeah. Bring them on out here. Who are you, Andy Griffith? What are you having for lunch here, buddy? Aunt B fixed that for you. So, yeah. Bison burger and green beans today. But, nah, Ford's Garage is awesome. Check it out, too, and try my Jiffy Burger the next time that you're up there, too. And all our friends last night at Lou Malnati's had a great time with everybody out there, too. A great Monday night trivia. And thanks to Fans Place and our friend Tony Donahue for being a part of that as well. Our friends at Bud Light, Lou Malnati's, and the ladies, Rolanda, uh, was up there with us as well. Sienna Wright was holding it down with promotions. Great time. In Broad Ripple. By the way, too, Lou Malnati's in Broad Ripple. People have not told me how awesome of a place that is. There is plenty of room, a great patio, great food. Got to hit that up again and do a radio show there at some point. Lou Malnati's in Broad Ripple. Thank you guys very much. Greg Rakestraw, bottom of the hour. Got regional finals coming up on Friday night. Brad Spielberger, a PFF. We'll see what side you might be on, living in his parents' basement or somebody that's beyond the smarts row good of NFL analytics. Brad joins us at four. Alex Golden of Setting the Pace. Some pace for conversation with Alex coming up in the 5 o'clock hour. 239-1070 is the number. Email the address at jmv1075thefan.com. Inside the Windschuler's spreadable cheeses. I have heard a rumor, just like Bananarama, I heard a rumor that the prez of the spreadability may be making an appearance in Indianapolis. So you guys have knocked it so out of the park in the spreadability of Winshulers and using it for your tailgates, your parties, and trying to find it at Meyer and Kroger that the prez... The Prez feels the need to make an appearance here in Indianapolis. That's a big deal. Thank you, guys. That's awesome. Win Shuler Spreadable Cheeses Lounge via YouTube Live. The stream, the app, HD Radio. Getting started with you and Greg Rakestraw coming up next. 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. The Ride with JMV. Here's Johnny. David Letterman. Hi, David. I'm Grandpa. 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. Brad Spielberger of PFF. Some of those numbers he'll run analytics-wise 
You know, why the Colts couldn't run the football? Why the offense didn't work? Let's run some numbers on Kenny Moore, too. Not one, but two pick sixes. And that went over the Panthers on Sunday. Colts and Patriots fight for Germany this Sunday. One person that is going to be absolutely thrilled with the timing may not be me because 6.30 is the pregame coverage, the Colts pregame huddle coming up on Sunday morning. But for the fifth quarter huddle, the host, along with Bill Brooks, the former wide receiver, Greg Rakestraw, this is right in your wheelhouse, right? you got to be really excited about the timing of the fifth quarter huddle coming up. My day is done by 3.30. Life's Bingo. There's nothing wrong Sunday. with that right there. There you go. No, not at all. But uh, your turnaround uh, is almost race day-like in terms of being at midnight and back on the air at 6.30 a.m. Well, that's exactly what I'm going to try to do. I may try to bridge that gap a little bit longer on Saturday night. See how far I can push it. I call in my request at like 1.58 a.m. is what you're telling me. Yeah, and it's weird because it's like nothing but the 90s, but I just kind of figure I'm just going to cover all three decades at some point, like a lot. So I'm going to do some really – I told Eric Allen last week that be ready, I may be doing some really weird blank. So – that's what I'm thinking about doing, especially after that midnight. Often, what makes late night radio successful, John, is some really weird <laughs> got stuff. It. So that may be the way to go. You got us. I'll be broadcasting to everybody that's working. A lot of convenience stores, a lot of third shifters, and and stuff. So hopefully, I can get some good '90s requests from them coming up on Saturday to Sunday morning. Just play the clerk soundtrack. You'll be fine. Yeah, no doubt about that. Um, all right. By the way, too, I don't know what happened to your phone. Yeah, uh, I'm sorry that you had like a re- double request queued up for me. And by the time I tried to call you back, because once I, I literally had to turn back on, like turn, I turned my phone on and off. Then I called Lovell. That took 20 minutes. By the time I had <laughs> called you back, I think it was based on the super sounds of the 70s. So I apologize that I crapped out in mid-phone call. Completely understand that right there. All right, I want to start here. you got regional finals coming up on Friday night, too. What uh, piques your interest around the state of Indiana? Because you got some humdingers, as they say, in southern Indiana, Greg. Yeah, the game that I got is a good one, Ben Davis and Cathedral. Uh, and, and Ben Davis, when they have played, it's been rather one-sided in, in favor of Ben Davis. I was very impressed with what I saw from Cathedral from their from their defensive scheme, what they did offensively against Lawrence North. Ben Davis, I think, can combat both of those things in terms of a power running game, uh, in terms of a little bit of a, of a different look defensively. Cathedral plays a 3-5-3 defensively, which, which hardly anybody does. LN could never kind of figure it out. Ben Davis, I think, has a better chance of doing that. That game down at UIndy, uh, so it, it should be a lot of fun. Uh, the other game that catches my attention in 6A is obviously Hamilton Southeastern and Westfield up in the northern half of the bracket. Uh, you know, in 4A, the fact that we've got Memorial and East Central, it's not Wrights, but Memorial that beat Wrights in the, in the sectional championship game on Friday night. Uh, Providence and Lutheran down in 1A. Uh, Adams Central and Carroll is another huge game of undefeated teams, of, of teams in each other in the 1A bracket. So, you know, we're down to 24 games left, and we're down to so many good teams that are remaining, you frankly will have more great games than bad ones coming up on Friday night. Uh, East Central, of course, the defending champion in 4A. I, I guess I don't know a great deal about the Pocket City teams here. In this case, Evansville Memorial. Will they have anything for East Central, who has just run roughshod over everybody this year? I think they will, because Memorial is always so well coached and has such postseason experience. I still expect 
East Central to win. But a lot of folks had assumed that Wrights would be the team that would be opposing East Central. It would be kind of one versus two. And Memorial has, Memorial has had Wrights' number ever since Memorial jumped up to 4A. So Memorial played for the 3A championship in back-to-back years. They won it in 17. They were the runners-up to West Lafayette in 18. And then in the next year, they won the 4A title in 19. And they have stayed at that 4A level since that time. And they keep winning sectionals and, and, and keep advancing you know, deep into the tournament. So I think they'll give East Central a competitive game, but I expect East Central to survive that one too because I do think that East Central – is clearly the best team in 4A. I think they'd have a shot at winning in 5A as well. Some have said that maybe they'd be competitive against 6A. I don't think they would against the top three or four teams, but I also think it would be fair to think that East Central might be amongst the top, say, eight or nine teams in the state of Indiana. Let's put it that way. Whiteland, Decatur Central, and 5A seems really sneaky good to be, and really sneaky good in that description may be a backhanded compliment. Well, let, let's give Whiteland credit because they lost a lot off of last year's state runner-up team. That is a completely different team that Darren Fisher has. Uh, and and beat Terre Haute South, who had a good year, uh, beat Terre Haute South in the sectional championship game last week. And because those two schools know each other so well, anything is possible. Decatur Central has been playing really well as of late. In the mid-state, as those schools continue to grow – simply gets better in football every year. There, there's, there's more talent uh, at each of those schools. And because of the schedule that they play, not surprisingly, those schools are starting to have deeper and deeper runs now into the postseason. So Decatur Central will be a slight favorite, but because of how well-coached both those teams are and the postseason experience that the Whiteland kids have, for making the state championship game last year. Anything's possible in that game. Wow, there's a lot of good stuff on this board. There's no doubt about that. Greg Grakestraw has you covered to Warren Central Center Grove. I don't know if we mentioned that coming up at CG on Friday night too, but in 6A, that is pretty good as well. So what have been your thoughts? I mean, we're a day in now with the official start of the college basketball season. You guys at IUPUI against Spalding officially got that underway. Was that a uh, Luke Basso idea right there, or that just happened the way that it happened i'm sure luke had a little bit of an impact on it but what this is and we have done this now the last few years and one of my favorite sports quotes or just quotes about life is necessity is the mother of invention well a handful of years ago we had a thursday game on the basically it was the same time slated to be as an indie fuel hockey game so we had the option of either playing the game at noon or going on campus and playing there like to say at the Coliseum at noon. Then there was kind of an idea that was hatched out of that that said, you know, why don't we kind of do like the Indianapolis Indians do and other minor league baseball teams do? Why don't we try to make this like a field trip day where we invite schools to come spend three hours with us at the Coliseum instead of in their classroom? Well, then this partnership with the NCAA became a, you know, a, a thing, and they have a program called Readers Become Leaders. And basically – you reward kids for reading X amount of books at a certain grade level. I think it was largely third graders and fourth graders that we had yesterday from uh, various different school corporations across Marion County. We had over 4,800 fans uh, at yesterday's game uh, and decided to say, you know what, let's go ahead and have this on the first day of the season and let's make this the first game out of the chute. Uh, and so IUPUI can lay claim to having the 
first game uh, of the 2023-2024 basketball season and basically have a record-setting attendance for a game at the Indiana Farmers Coliseum as well. It was a, it was a good day and a seven-point win for the Jaguars yesterday. Here's Greg Raystraw talking college basketball with us on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Potline. I, I guess anything up until, especially the start of the NCAA tournament, is going to make Boilermaker fans nervous. I mean, it, it's, it's funny how you look at a regular season and there's, oh yeah, by the way, they'll win the Big Ten and they'll be a top-five team, a number one seed you got all these publications listing them as a surefire final four team uh coming up at the end of march <laughs> i don't know how much good that does boilermaker fans right this is one of those things where match teams got to get through it and get to that point before any of these boilermaker fans of basketball have a chance to relax just a little i i honestly don't think and i, I mean the boilermaker fans will show up as evidenced by last night and you kind of knew that poor Sanford had it coming. You know, kind of the first official game since the loss to Fairleigh Dickinson. You, you knew that it was coming. Uh, and, and a beatdown was going to ensue. And you saw that in 98-45. to 45. What the spread was like 19. I think the easiest money you could have found last night was, was wagering on that one. But in the grand scheme of things, Purdue fans will care. They'll show up and support their team. But I, I don't think regular season record matters. I don't think... Big Ten championship matters. I don't think Big Ten tournament cha- – and, and, and I hate saying that, but it's just the God's honest truth. Purdue's had all of those things. And Purdue has lost to North Texas. And Purdue has lost to St. Peter's. And Purdue has lost to – I mean, it's, it's, it's just this litany of double-digit seed losses over the years. And that's never going to go away. People still talk as much about Virginia losing to UMBC – as they do them winning the national championship. But at least they've got the national championship to kind of balance that and said, yeah, well, we got this banner here that says we won the whole damn thing a few years ago, too. And so that's really what it comes down to for, for Purdue. And I realize that that first barrier, that first line of demarcation is that first Final Four trip since Market Square Arena in 1980. That's the hurdle you've got to climb first, and you see if you can win a couple of games there. But it's great for that Purdue wins. And, you know, I, I like Matt Painter. They've got 11 Indiana kids on that roster. I called most of those kids' games in high school. I know those players. I want them to be successful. But I'm also the first person to tell you, I don't care what they do in the regular season. I don't care what they do in the Big Ten tournament. I care what they do starting the weekend of March 21st through 24th, the opening weekend of the NCAA tournament. Hey, Greg, is there a shred at all of connection between – where Purdue is right now and what we saw a lot of of endings of seasons and seasons from the Colts prior to winning Super Bowl 41? Is there a relation yeah. to be made there on any level? You know, I, I, I think there is. Um, you know, it, it never and – and I, I guess the only difference that you have is that, you know, yes, your seeding is controlled by what your record is. You, you're not exactly playing for home games. You're playing for games that are closer. So obviously because there's first and second round games in Indianapolis this year, if Purdue's a one or two seed, in theory, they get to play those first couple of games at Gamebridge Fieldhouse. As compared to the Colts where you said, all right, you're playing for a bye, you're playing for two home games, and even then it didn't seem to work at times for the Colts until 2006-2007. They were the number three seed, so – there is a correlation there, but 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 just enough differences because again you're not playing for a 
true home court, if you will. All right. IU Florida Gulf Coast as the Hoosiers get their season officially underway coming up tonight. I don't think this is Lob City. I, I like the Hoosiers' chances. Uh, I frankly love the fact that Indiana's first two exhibition opponents were Indianapolis and Marion. I agree. I think that's, I think that's awesome. So first of all, congratulations and kudos to Mike Woodson and staff for making that happen. Um, I, I think it's an IU team that, that has a lot of potential, but there's a lot of question marks there. But I, I doubt any of those get tested against FGCU tonight. Carson Wentz signs with the Rams. More people around here when he gets in there. I'm assuming it's a matter of time with the injury situation. When and if he gets in there, hoping he does well or hoping he does not do well. What do you think? I would assume it's the latter, John, would be my guess. Oh, come on now. I'm, I'm the grudge holder around here, not these I, fans. There, there, there will be a lot of people that blame him for seeing a 9-4 and four start go haywire <laughs> uh, in 2021. So my guess would be the latter. Victor Winbayama last night came yeah. in here at seven foot four. Um, you and I are a lover of the past, um, and seven two would be really easy um, to figure that out. They had to cream Abdul Jabbar probably every time. Who's your favorite all time NBA player, seven three or taller? Uh, did, did Swin Nader get to seven three? I believe Swin um, Nader did not make seven three, Greg. Okay. Chuck Nevitt, seven foot five. <laughs> Chuck correct? Nevitt definitely. There, made, there is made a it. look. Look this up. There is there is a Detroit sporting goods store commercial from like eighty seven, eighty eight, and and uh, and I think Converse was behind it. So like Chuck Daly's in it. Isaiah Thomas is in it. I, Rodman I think is in it. And for some unknown reason. Chuck Nevitt is in that commercial. So see if you can find, if you can find that thing as to you know you, like like we need to, we need the most the most knowledgeable Pistons the most people the people will recognize them immediately. Yep, Chuck Daly, yep, hair got it. Isaiah Thomas, yep, all up hammer got it. Joe Dumars, get him too. Big tall guy. You're talking about uh, John Sally, no, no, the other tall guy. Uh, James Edwards, no, 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 the really tall guy. Chuck yeah. Nevitt, yeah, get him. So, uh, yeah, so I'll go with Chuck Nevitt. How about that? So, Chuck Nevitt had two legitimate nicknames, and one, I want to say, was the first time this nickname and or reference was ever used, and it's still incredibly popular today. Two nicknames, okay. one that's still popular today. Uh, I don't know. Hit me with that one. Chuck E. Cheese. Okay, was that, one. That, I, assume that, I assume that was the less obvious one. That's yes. the one that I would have guessed, yes. I I think this is the first time, and I have not documentation that bears this out, but he was nicknamed the Human Victory Cigar. <laughs> and I think he was I think he was the first one ever to be named the Human Victory Cigar. Well, he played did, didn't he get like a cup of coffee with the Lakers too? Didn't he spend time uh, with both? Well, I Lakers think I think he started mid eighties with the Rockets and he uh, he was with the Lakers, Pistons, and then I think went CBA and then may have gotten back in the NBA a couple of different times, but he was always on the end of the bench. And I would have to look this up. I, I cannot make this official, but he may have been the first person to ever be described with the nickname the Human Victory Cigar. So he played he played, you know, for about a five year stretch, like yeah. eighty five to ninety, right. somewhere around there, if I remember right. Yeah. Think right. about the winning percentage for the teams he played for. The Rockets with the NBA Finals in eighty six. Yeah. The Pistons were there in 88, 89, and 90. 
The Lakers were in the finals in 87, 88, and 89. Chuck Nevitt may lead the league in wins per minutes played in the history of the National Basketball Association. All right. With that in mind, I'm going to ask you, I'll give you mine a little bit later on, but I'm going to ask you this in closing because you brought up Chuck Nevitt and you brought up his time with the Pistons. If I present this idea to the Pacers, do you think that it will be accepted or will it fly over like a lead balloon? If you remember with the Pistons, they had their first names on their warm-up jackets. Yes. So what if I were to present to the Pacers an opportunity to be different and also nobody cares about the Pistons past around here because we hate them. There's no doubt about that. But would they be cool with putting their first names on the backs of their warm-up jackets? Their first names. Well, so they, they put they, the last name was on the back of the jackets of the Pistons. The first name was on the front. Was like on the like like the Detroit Pistons basketball logo was on one side, and like See, I thought they I thought they like, had one year where they had it on the back too. Maybe I could they, be wrong, yeah, but I, I I remember that it was like you know like you worked well, in like yeah like an well auto even better shop. even like better when you worked at team when you worked at Team Entire you had a patch that said John <laughs> yeah, you know on your yeah, shirt yeah you know and so I think that's how they did it so perhaps as part of the hard work image of Indianapolis. We can have a similar patch with the like the Pacers crest is on one side. Using my soccer terminology, Pacers logo is on one side, and like one of those you know white patches in like you know navy blue script. You know it could say Daniel. You know for Daniel Tice. You never get. I like that. Or I, that's, a, that's a great I think idea. That's the way to go. Yeah, I think that's a great idea. You think they would accept yeah. that? Or they decline, but we can yeah. we can at least suggest it. I mean, why not? I like that idea right there. Greg Rakestraw's busy coming up this weekend per usual too. Mark Eaton, by the way, uh, okay. seven three and over favorite all time, and he obviously grew at the Salt Palace with Carl Malone and John Stockton in those early years. Thurl Bailey and the Utah Jazz. Mark Eaton, who passed away in twenty twenty one, my favorite all time seven foot three and taller NBA player. Greg, I appreciate you. Can I, can I give one more shameless plug, if you don't mind? You better. You better do it. So Friday night, obviously, we got Ben Davis Cathedral. On Saturday, go to iscsportsnetwork.com, go to the ISC Sports Network YouTube, Twitter account, Apple TV, etc. 129th, Monon Bell Classic. Wabash and DePauw, there will be 10,000 people or more in attendance at Little Giant Stadium in Crawfordsville. Wabash is 7-2. and two. DePaul is 9-0. and oh. Winner of the game represents their conference in the Division Three playoffs. And, frankly, that is secondary to beating the other guy. Right. This is the, th- this is the third year that we have had the game on ISC. Simply put, it's one of the favorite things I get to do every year. So, Saturday afternoon, spend your – if you can't make it to Crawfordsville, spend your afternoon with us on ISC for the 129th playing of the Monon Bell Classic. And that's like the only time of year when like any chicks go to Wabash too, right? I'm not going to comment anything on that because I have to be neutral. I can't give any digs to Wabash or to Paul whatsoever. But when I was there two years ago, um, plenty of fine-looking fine females were on display rooting for both teams, both Wabash and DePaul. Buddy, I appreciate you. See you. It's a great great show on the Andy Moore on the Motive Group Hotline. I know Rick Smith's was seven foot four but uh yeah it's always been mark eaton for me i don't know why quick break we'll come back the ride with jmv are you kidding 93.5 and 107.5 the fan
There you go. So Mark Boyle, Eddie Gill, the Pacers Radio Network. Buddy Heald off the bench for 19. Telling you, Buddy Essential. You guys have seen that so far, have you not? Pacers big time. 1-5-2 to 1-11 over the Spurs last night. Come back and talk about that on the other side. Get your calls in here as well. I got Hootie and the Blowfish tickets for you. Their reunion tour, getting back together, coming up next summer. Ruoff Home Mortgage Music Center. Your chance to win is coming up too. Alex Golden in the 5 o'clock hour. Brad Spielberger of PFF. And inside the lounge via YouTube Live, the Windschuler Spreadable Cheese Lounge. Get in there. You can watch, listen, participate inside the lounge via YouTube Live. 93.5107.5 The Fan. The Ride with JMV. And the beat goes on, yeah. And the beat goes on. 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. Alex Golden setting the pace. Going to be here coming up at the 5 o'clock hour. Joe's Grill on Thursday. We got Larceny Bourbon Locks, Luna's Old Tequila Shots Week 10. And uh, the Blue Chaparral, Southeastern Avenue coming up on Bud Light Blue Friday. Uh, shout out to Lou Malnati's last night. Lou Malnati's in Bud Light with us in Broad Ripple for a Monday night trivia night that was fantastic. Great to see you out there. And uh, we'll do that again coming up. Greg Rakestraw a little bit earlier too. Hootie and the Blowfish, Edwin McCain and uh, Collective Soul, a celebration of the 1990s. I'm assuming a celebration of that debut album from Hootie and the Blowfish, Cracked Rearview that all of you had out there in the 1990s. We've got tickets to give away for that show. That show's at Ruoff Home Mortgage Music Center coming up in the summer. Now, there is a show here tonight in studio with James and Carl. Do you know who is playing downtown at Gamebridge Fieldhouse this evening? Uh, Tonight, off the top of my head, I do not. James doesn't. Carl, what do you know over there? I do not. Carl Carl, Carl doesn't look like he knows much of anything right now. <laughs> pink. It is pink downtown. Oh, really? See all those buses in front of the Conrad? I did. I was wondering about that. Yeah. Pink is in town tonight. A lot of you are going to see Pink. And shout out if you are. If you're on hold, I'll get to you. Just a second on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline from Pro Football Focus. Brad Spielberger joins us. Where would Pink reside in your music catalog? Uh, not super duper high, but you just shouted out the uh, the greatest pizza place on earth in Lumalmati, so I had to comment on that. Yeah, I was there last night in Broadway. They have three locations. I, I think one, the one I was at, actually has dine in, which is spectacular in Broad Ripple. But Lumalmati's last night. You're a big fan, huh? Well, not not that anyone cares about this, you know, for my radio hit. But yeah, I grew up near the original location in the, in the north suburbs of Chicago. Uh, you know, going to the OG Lou Malnati's. I went to Rick Malnati's basketball camp as a kid. Yeah, so me, me and the Malnati's go way back. <laughs> now, is that Highland Park? Is that where you're from? Uh, in that area, yep. Yeah, you know, once upon a time, I went on my own self-tour of John Hughes' locations where he filmed some of his films. Have you ever done that? I got it. No, I, I know what you're referring to. Yeah. I think I have not, like, with a tour, but by myself. Um, you know, there's the the Home Alone house and all all, all sorts of you know yeah. stuff around that area. Yeah, I saw that uh, where Samantha Baker lives in Sixteen Candles, uh, where both Cameron Fry and Jake lived in Ferris Bueller's Day Off, and uh, at an extra 
right here where um, Tom Cruise's house was. Joel lived in Risky Business right there in Highland Park, yep, too. Yep. So, yeah. I did that once upon a time. So I'm not a nerd, as you can tell. Once upon a time, I did that all on my own. All right, let's crunch some numbers here. I want to start with the good. The Colts get the win 27-13 in Carolina on Sunday. Kenny Moore with the two pick sixes. How did he grade out, and how much did that help out the rest of that secondary, which has been awful, to say the least, for most of the season? Yeah, the highest-graded corner of the week, unsurprisingly. He's one of 28 cornerbacks ever now to have two pick sixes in a single single game and it's not like it was two you know 10 yard returns he had to really get on his horse and 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 haul half the field plus so yeah highest graded corner of the week above a 93 he also only allowed i think it was one reception maybe two receptions on four targets for 20 yards so you know it was good the rest of the game as well and like you mentioned the secondary is clearly the weak spot on this roster so good to see him show out have a have a really a game-changing performance uh, they, they needed it. Hey, all right, couple of things here. Uh, Kenny Moore on the open market, for example. I know he's 28 right now. Let's just say 29 next season. Uh, plays in the slot is where he makes his plays, and he is comfortable. How is that viewed marketability-wise around the NFL in your estimation? Yeah, it's been pretty fascinating. So when he signed his extension, you know, for four years, right around 8.25 a year, I want to say maybe eight and a half million per year. That was where the market was. You had guys like Justin Coleman signing Detroit for $9 million a year. You had a bunch of players across the league doing fairly well. And there was kind of this uptick in, all right, we're going to view this position not just as your number three corner or not just as the shortest corner on your roster, but there are certain defensive schemes where it matters more and more. You know, Matt Eberflus would tell you he really values the slot corner and what they can do in the run game as well as in coverage, yada, yada, yada. However, The last three, four off-seasons, you're not getting paid if you're a slot corner. It doesn't matter how good you are. If you're reaching the open market, odds are you're not signing a deal with your own incumbent team, and you're just not cashing in. So it'll it'll be interesting. You know, I think he's one of the better players to hit the open market in a couple years. Obviously has the pedigree, is a leader, all of those things. Um, but the market has been very unkind to slot corners the last three, four offseasons. He is Brad Spielberger, a pro football focus on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline right here every Tuesday. Uh, the rest of the defense as a whole in a moment. Shaquille Leonard had 10 total tackles, seven solo to lead the Colts on Sunday. How did that play out? How was that viewed analytically speaking with the linebackers around the NFL Sunday? Yeah, very well. You know, and that linebacker trio, uh, you know, really is starting to all play together. And, and Leonard's getting healthier over the course of time, which is, of course, great to see. You know, we're used to him being a guy that can truly talk about flip the field and, and make game-changing plays. Um, yeah, you know, his run defense grade was one of the stronger ones he's had this season. His overall grade was his third best mark of the year. So starting to piece it together, we saw a slow start. But I think you're seeing him stack more and more quality performances um, you know, it was good in coverage as well. We have him credited only with allowing uh, three receptions on five targets for 20 yards. So making a lot of tackles, a couple of those tackles for loss uh, as well, which is, of course, important. Um, he looked good. All right, Brad, too. The defense as a whole, you, you take in those numbers with Kenny, obviously the best at the, that position in the NFL in week number nine, and then what we just talked about with Shaquille Leonard and the rest of the linebackers. How, how did the Colts' defense as a whole grade out Sunday? 
Definitely one of the better performances. Uh, you know, there's no question about that. Obviously, it's been tough sledding for them overall. Uh, you know, Carolina, one of the worst offenses in the NFL. You know, not, not breaking any news there. But, um, you know, still, it's good to see that performance stacked, and it's good to see, like I said, kind of a groundswell of, I think you're getting more consistent play from the guys we've talked about. You know, Dio Dangbo with a great pass rush as a three technique on the interior to get that sack, a quick pressure, a quick sack. I mean, that, that's about as good as it can look from him. Um, so, yeah, a, a very, very strong performance in Week 9, no question about it. Um, and they were certainly due, you know, regardless of opponent, it, it's still good to see. Brad Spielberger of PFF, I'm going to let you thumb back to the offensive side of things for this team, where I think the numbers probably were much more bleak on Sunday in Carolina than certainly how it looked defensively for this, this Colts team as to why they end up getting that win. But uh, let's start with the offensive line. Somebody had sent me this via social media that the grayed out numbers for the offensive linemen were not that great for a couple on Sunday with that Colts offensive line in mind. How'd it look? Yeah, you know, a little bit of a step back. I've been singing the praises of a guy like Will Fries, who I thought had played well the last couple of weeks. Right. Um, he, he did not in this game. We have him a 37 pass block rate in this game, uh, allowing multiple pressures, allowed a quarterback hit. Uh, and then Quentin Nelson as well, also allowed a quarterback hit, one pressure. For him, a 49 pass block rate is certainly not strong. So uh, I think, though, the, the really encouraging part is the continued you know, development of a Bernard Raymond Graded out well for us, 77 pass block rate, just one pressure allowed. And then Ryan Kelly, the continued, when he's healthy, when he's able to focus on football, he's been really, really good this year. I want to say that's correct. He has the lowest pressure rate allowed among centers in the NFL. 1% of all of his pass block reps does he allow pressure. It's the top mark in the league. So, yeah, you know, so some poor performances from, from Nelson Freeland and Fries. Uh, but Kelly and Raymond definitely look good. I'm going to play off, Brad, some of the things you come up with here. But among those high-water marks individually, both offensively and defensively in week number nine, what players are we talking about? Where would you start as far as having just a, a great offensive or defensive individually weekend? Yeah, can you kind of rephrase that? I'm not sure I follow. Yeah, I mean, the, the best offensively numbers, quarterback-wise, wide receiver-wise, and then in comparison, you know, what you get coming off the edge defensively. How some of those individual numbers who rank the best, individual name recognizable, like quarterback coming off the edge. I don't. Do you not, guys not do it that way? I, I, I'm sorry. I, I like in terms of for the Colts, for the cross the entire. No, across the like, yeah, across the entire NFL, everybody. Uh, I got you. I got you. Yeah. So, you know, I think the best performance as a quarterback this past week, I really think the best matchup uh, of the weekend was Jalen Hurts and Dak Prescott. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that matchup of, of obviously the NFC East there, we're going to see it happen again. But both guys were attacking downfield uh, or keeping the ball out of harm's way. Um, so, so they're certainly top of that list. You know, both guys, 10 plus yards downfield, were really attacking, were very, very efficient, uh, completed, you know, 75 plus percent of passes. Um, but then, of course, you got to go to two guys that are playing each other this upcoming weekend who were the first and second highest graded quarterback. The first is Joe Burrow, who, who is back to looking like Joe Burrow. Agreed. Um, he's, you see the way he manipulates the pocket, the way he you know avoids pressure, plays outside of structure, but also early on the shot clock, anticipatory throws, throwing back shoulder, leading his receivers on the sideline, away from coverage. He was vintage Joe Burrow. And then the young buck, uh, I mean, C.J. Stroud was absurd uh, in this past game. 15 of 22, 
for 380 yards on passes 10-plus yards downfield. He had one turnover-worthy play despite throwing the ball about 50 times. Um, so, you know, with all the positives, there weren't really any negatives outside of one throw that did bounce off a defender's hands in the first half. Or no, excuse me, it was interception, an interception in the first half. So, but, I mean, five touchdown passes consistently throughout the entire game, attacking the intermediate, attacking the middle of the field, um, you know, layering throws, touch throws, like the touchdown to Tank Dell, um, not, the, not the last one, but on the right corner of the end zone, just a beautiful moon ball in. Um, he, he was exceptional. So I'm excited for that matchup of Houston at Cincy this weekend. And that's why I wanted to ask you that, because I want that, that one-game comparison for C.J. Stroud, rookie-wise, of the past – uh, how, how many games, I, I know we haven't seen very many, if any, but where does that rank all time in comparison to other rookie quarterbacks since PFF has been coming up with these rating numbers? Oh, that is one of the best performances we've seen from a rookie, no question about it. Um, and I know it is the most yards ever, you know, it is that. PFF era. They're the most yards, um, you know, his, in history. But I can pull up really quickly for you here just – Looking at that I should give you more time when I lead in these questions because I know you're looking no. this stuff up on the fly and you're really good at it. My apologies. No, zero, zero apologies. A good question. I, I, should, I should have, uh, you know, prepped for it. But, no, you, know, you I can't prep. Yeah, I don't know if you can prep for that, but I love no. the way that you're scrambling right here looking for it. So that's my bad. Yeah, I should give you, you know, more time. You're good. I can delay. It is a top 10 performance among rookie quarterbacks over the last decade in terms of just PFF passing grade. Yeah. So, um, you know, it's way, way up there. And a lot of the other ones, you look at it, it's kind of lower volume, guys that were just efficient. Um, in terms of, you know, he threw the ball 49 times. Uh, if you look at just performances where the guy threw the ball at least 30 times, it's a top five grade among a rookie quarterback over the last decade. I mean, that, that, that's how good he was. So Brad Spielberger, by the way, you're allowed to, if you want, to say, why don't you look that stuff up yourself? You can do that <laughs> if you want to, man. It just occurred to me regarding that game for C.J. Stroud was amazing. Here's another one, and I know you're not prepped for this. So you go to the uh, Vikings category here and Joshua Dobbs. Uh, given the fact he had like 48 hours to prepare and then he was thrust in there and didn't really know any of the plays, I, I thought his performance, although I'm sure the numbers are not huge, I thought his performance was as manly a performance as I've seen over the weekend. It was remarkable. I mean, I really think it was nothing short of remarkable given the context. I mean, you have the video of him literally on the sideline learning the, the cadences and learning the hard count from the offensive line, he's doing it with the center, and then the guards and tackles are kind of giving him feedback. Like, oh, that's pretty good. Like, yeah, like it's kind of – I mean, it's remarkable. And then apparently, you know, in the headset, because obviously he doesn't know the actual play calls, uh, Kevin O'Connell is literally giving him each player's responsibility, and he's telling each receiver, like, it's like almost like backyard football, right? Like, that's hey, awesome. You run a post, you, you yeah. run a slant, you run a go ball. Um, yeah, it, it's great. Actually, is good. It's great. It was totally fine. Um, he ran very well, which obviously helps. You know, he had the touchdown. Um, you know, was scrambling efficiently all throughout the game. But truly, I think one of the more impressive things I've ever seen. Colts and Patriots is the game in Frankfurt, Germany, coming up early on Sunday morning. Of course, we'll have that right here. Two and seven are the Patriots. The Colts coming off that win. Some things that the Patriots do well compared to a lot of the things, I guess, in this case, in this season with Bill Belichick, they don't do well. One thing this Patriots team does bring to the table that could give the Colts some issues on Sunday morning, Brad. 
I think they're going to play up and play physical on these receivers. Um, you know, and I think a lot of the time you, you are seeing the Colts get away with teams that play soft zone and give them room to operate underneath. They, you know, Gardner Minshew gets the ball out very quickly. He's not going to sit there and hold the ball too long, take sacks. He's not going to wait for downfield passes to develop. Um, and you're talking about a Patriots team that is, you know, top three in the NFL and cover zero, uh, top ten in the NFL and in right of cover one, you know, those being coverages uh, where you're playing a lot of man, playing up in press coverage, bumping receivers off the line. It just doesn't allow you for a lot of those quick hitters, you know, that do leave yards after the catch and things like that. So I think that is going to be a challenge, um, you know, in, in an NFL now where so many secondaries just sit back and say, hey, we'll let you have six, seven yards, but we're not going to let you have an explosive the Patriots are still not afraid of. No, we're not. I mean, we're not going to seed ground. We're going to make it hard for you the entire way. Um, and, and I don't think that's particularly conducive, you know, to what Gardner Minshew and this offense is doing well right now. Hey, what's the two-game outcome, in your opinion, of rookie Will Levis in Tennessee, Brad? I thought he just looked really, really good. Um, it, you know, it was tough against Pittsburgh, one of the best defensive lines in football, and the Titans' offensive line. For my money, is probably the worst offensive line in the NFL. And then he really just has DeAndre Hopkins and a bunch of bodies to throw to. So he made a he had seven completions on throws, ten plus yards in the in that game. Um, you know, a pretty high number. You saw him throwing between the numbers off of play action. He's been excellent. The big thing that I've noticed from him, it's funny because Stroud's kind of doing different things in his college tape as well. Levis was really, really poor at, at avoiding, uh, you know, sacks. He took a lot of bad sacks in college. He also didn't really throw down the field. Like, it was all off-play action, and then it was all underneath or, you know, intermediate, and he's been chucking it deep, obviously. So, um, I think he looks great. I think there is no reason why you would go back to Ryan Tannehill, and, and I commend the Titans and Mike, Mike Vrabel for making that decision today to give him the reins and let him start. Um, he, he's shown a lot of good so far through two weeks. To Brad Spielberger with us. Uh, one more thing regarding Deshaun Watson. He was back in the starting role with the Browns. And there went over the Cardinals over the weekend, too. What what did he look like overall upon his return from injury? He was better. It was kind of funny. You know, there was the celebration of the touchdown pass early in the game, even though he kind of hit it off a guy's helmet. Uh, and it popped up in the air and fell in Amari Cooper's hands. But, no, he, he played pretty well. I mean, it's, he had a top-five passing grade in the NFL for us this past week. Um, largely kept the ball out of harm's way. Um, you know, two touchdown passes, had a couple drops, too. He could have had even more production than he did have. And obviously that game was out of hand. You know, uh, the Cardinals, I think, had 58 net total yards the entire game. So, uh, but no, he looked good. He looked good. He looked in command. He looked healthy. There was more velocity on the ball. This version of Deshaun Watson and this Browns roster can win a lot of football games. Do you guys have numbers for teams that go overseas early compared to teams that go later in the week? It's fascinating. We, we've been looking at it. Um, I love you, you guys. Know, you have numbers for everything. Thank you. Of course we do. Of course we do. <laughs> uh, it, it's interesting. So, so the first couple of weeks, um, and kind of historically, there seems to be an edge to the team that goes earlier on. Um, and that was the case through the, the first couple you know, London games this season. This past week, though, Miami got there like six days before the game, and Kansas City showed up two days before the game. Um, and then the Chiefs come out and, and kind of end the game in the first half. So, I think it is kind of variable. It depends probably on the individual. But I would say there is a slight edge as far as we can see it um, in getting there a bit earlier, acclimating to the different environment, getting your internal clock adjusted to the different time zone. Um, but there, I know there is science behind ignoring everything I just said and kind of just getting in, shocking the system, and getting out, uh, which is what the Chiefs did. 
But anyway, long answer short, I think it's smart to get there early if you can. All right, what's you writing about? What's the latest, Brad? What do you got? Yeah. Yep, so we're now looking at uh, – I'm doing a GM rankings article, probably coming out tomorrow. So kind of just looking at a couple different performance metrics, different than anything you've seen out there. It's not just, you know, my opinion based on who knows what, uh, kind of breaking down different ways GMs can win, um, you know, or, or find edge cases and kind of doing a – not a ranking, more of a tiers list of general managers across the NFL. It's awesome, man, as always, too. And a big lover of Lou Malnati's, who uh, you were coached by one of the Malnati's, correct? <laughs> That's right. Rick Malnati. Shout out, Rick. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever had anybody on the show that's been coached up by one of the Malnati's. That's awesome. Well done. <laughs> Thanks, Brad. I appreciate you. Yep, thank you. Brad Spielberger of PFF. Honestly, though, he has to run through a lot of stuff. And we don't get together before he comes on, so give him props. I, I could tell a couple of different times he's going, yeah, could you maybe bring these things a little bit closer together? But he's always really good about that. Brad Spielberger, a pro football focus, with us on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. We got Hootie and the Blowfish tickets to give away. We've got Alex Golden setting the pace. Pacers resounding win last night, 152 on the board. A franchise record, tying. And then a first-half franchise record tying offensive output in a throttling of the Victor Wimbayama San Antonio Spurs on a Monday night at Cambridge Fieldhouse. That was outstanding. So, yeah, it's not about you didn't get to see a lot of him play. He didn't have a great game, anything like that. It was about what the Pacers did to provide him a lot of late-game bench. Seriously. That's how you're going to know everybody around here is back on board again. Not so much about what they do coming in here and why you're going to see them. It's about what your team does. Dave's at 239-1070. Dave, thanks for the hold. How are you? Good, man. How's everything, John? Dave, I am fantastic. I appreciate you asking. What's up? Uh, I'm, a, I'm a new caller. Um I love the show. Thank you, buddy. But you mentioned Mark. You mentioned Mark Eaton earlier, and I actually played high school ball with Mark Eaton in Westminster High School, and um, he was a giant back then. Uh, but but an interesting story about about Mark. He had actually quit playing after high school, and if you look up some history, you'll find that he was working in a tire shop. Yeah. And uh, and a coach came and got him and got him to play some JC ball, and then he went on to UCLA and went on to the pros. But you couldn't find a better student or a better guy, and uh, it's just so sad that we lost him so early. But uh, he was a great high school teammate and uh, just a great man. So I just thought I'd share. Now, that. I want you to hang on here too because I found the I found this fascinating. I believe the story goes right. He was found because was he underneath a car? And his he legs was. legs he were was. on one end and his head and shoulders were out on the other. That's what Mark says. He says he was doing the car and the um, junior college coach um, came in and saw him and asked him what the heck he was doing. <laughs> and he goes, well, he didn't like playing for our high school coach. Our high school coach uh, wasn't the best coach in the world and pretty much embarrassed Mark all the time because Mark was growing into his body, a little clumsy at times. But he was a he was a giant of a man. He was like an aircraft carrier. He was just huge in the in the in the key. How so, close were you with him? Uh, I was a good friend. Um, we uh, I was one year behind him. I got to go against against him in practice. Uh, um, I, I wasn't a big guy in high school, but it uh, seems like I always end up paying forward, and I always end up having Mark <laughs> crush me. So, um, 
but a real good guy, and uh, I-, I thought the world of Mark. Now, how'd you end up? You went to Westminster High School in Southern California, correct? I did. Yes, sir. How'd you end up back here? Well, I moved here about 15 years ago. Um, I worked for a company called Nestle, and they moved me out here as a nice. manager. And uh, nice. Um, now, now I'm working for. Uh, Finishing up my career with an amazing company. I uh, I love what I do, and uh, um, just when you said that today, it just sparked old memories for me. And oh man, I had to call in I'm and, glad. and share that with you, Dave. Thank you. Now, a couple things regarding Nestle. Uh, number one. Is there a chance where we can ever go back to the old school days when Nestle Quick was in that metal container that you had to pry the lid off the top? Well, I don't know. I don't work for them anymore. I was oh, in charge of I was in charge of Hagadas and, and some frozen pizza. Now, <laughs> now I'm now I work for the Indiana State Lottery, having a ball. Oh, you work for the lottery, huh? All right, well, I get, do, you got to get the lottery on this show somehow, some way. We need a little lottery love here. But no, seriously, uh, somebody brought that up with Nestle Quick or Nesquik over the weekend. Our our favorite back in the day, chocolate milk mixed drink. You had, to pry, you had to pry that can open, and that was great though. I love prying the can open. Now the other thing. What year did you graduate from Westminster High School in Southern California? 76. 76. Oh, I've aged myself now. So, is it true? Did He was older than you. Bob Deal. Does that word, does that name mean anything to you? Bob Deal graduated in 1969 from Westminster High School in Southern California. Bob Deal. Do you recognize that name? No, I don't, actually. Bob Deal Deal has a connection because he was actually born in Terre Haute, Indiana. Bob Deal turned into Mick Mars, guitarist of Motley Crue. Oh, wow. Mick Mars evidently graduated in the class of 1969. Now, he's not with Motley Crue anymore for a variety of reasons because they're fighting right now. But uh, when they went there at their peak, he was... uh, he was uh, certainly a big deal with them. Mick Mars, I looked this up. Ryan Klesko, who played 13 years sure, in Major League right. Baseball, is from Westminster High School. Yep. Van Tune, who played in the NFL with the uh, Colts, Bears, and Chargers at one point in time, is uh, also from Westminster High School. So, Yeah, num- number one draft pick, Mike Sox. Also played with us, and he was a baseball pick. I think awesome. it was the Twins. I love that stuff. It was a lot of fun. I love that a, stuff. It was a great, great time to grow up. I'll y- tell you. You brought the triple threat of things I'm interested in. Mark Eaton, your friends with, Nesquik with Nestle, and then old school names like that with Mick Mars. Well done, Dave. You call again. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it. That's awesome. I love that. You know who else was from his high school? I didn't bring this one up. Not a clue. <laughs> I love this too. Uh, Jason Williams, and not the Jason Williams that you think. This because there are a couple of them. Uh, this Jason Williams starred in the 1974 sex comedy Flesh Gordon. Flesh, Flesh Gordon. You think you know Flesh, and maybe you've seen Flash Gordon. Right, Flash Gordon of 1980 with yep. the Queen soundtrack. Yep. This from 1974 is Flesh Gordon. Ten out of ten on the title. I'll have to. Flash. <laughs> he was the star of Flesh Gordon, which I will say this: Flesh Gordon before Skinamax was ever a thing. 
before it was ever a thing. I remember rolling tape with somebody that had cable back in the early 80s, and it ended up on an overnight Cinemax, which we now know as Skinemax, which is no longer with us. The film from 1974 starring Jason Williams, Flesh Gordon. Not as good as Genital Hospital, but Flesh Gordon is, is pretty good. That is a brilliant title. Genital Hospital is one of the greatest of all That's time. That's great. I love that. <laughs> Quick break. We'll come back. Alice Golden's going to say the show at the 5 o'clock hour. Hooting the Blowfish tickets as well. And time for your calls coming up on the other side. 93.5107.5 The Fan. The Ride with JMV. I love JMV. He looks like Rascal Flats guy. Got a cool soul patch. He does, and a buttery smooth voice. Oh, yeah. 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. The actor in this was Sam Jones. Look that up. He may have only done like this, and that's it. Sam Jones? Not Flash Gordon, Flash Gordon, by the way, from 1980. Sam Jones, right? Sam Jones was a quarterback for the New York Jets in this film, Flash Gordon. And he's probably better than Zach Wilson. Sam Jones, quarterback, New York Jets. Yep, yep, you're right. Flash Gordon. Man, I'm telling you what. My long term is brilliant. My short term is awful. I got lost on the way to work today. My short term is terrible. My long term is awesome. JMV. My old man was the head football coach for 19 years at Wabash. This is from Matt Carlson. I can confirm there are females present most weekends. (laughs) Uh, Full disclosure, uh, that joke I absolutely wore out. Back in the day when I was at Indiana State with our geeky but incredibly successful friends to the east, Rose Holman. When they would try to come over and with their slide rules and their Texas instrument calculators and their pocket protectors to infiltrate one of my parties, I always understood that they probably hadn't washed in a couple of weeks. They didn't have to impress anybody because at that moment at Rose Holman, there were no chicks over there. No ladies at Rose Holman then. However, over the course of making fun, I always remember that during their lifetime and their career, they probably will earn about $25 million more million than I ever will. There's a give and take right there. I can make slide rule jokes, pocket protector jokes, Still let him in the party and know that they would be my boss in about three years. A shout out to Rose Holman. <laughs> JMV. Ford's Garage in Cincinnati area has a Chris Collinsworth burger. And they bring it to you where the server rolls in on a chair. Is that true right there? It's pretty interesting. No idea. Hey, JMV, Sam Jones is in the movie Ted because they were huge fans of Flash Gordon. Makes sense. Thank you both, Chris and Corey, for that. From Alan Stanley, JMV, both the Pacers' highest scoring game and lowest scoring game have come against what team? This is according to Alan Stanley. Can you guess? Well, repeat the question again. The Pacers' highest scoring game mm-hmm. and the Pacers' lowest scoring game have come against which NBA team? Is it the same team? It's the same team, San Antonio. This is according to Allen. Really? 
because Allen says I was actually at the lowest scoring game. Reggie was suspended, Smiths was out, and the Spurs started Robinson, Duncan, and Will Purdue. Thank you, Allen, for that. And I love what the Pacers did last night. They did what I talked about at the opening of the show that offended this this dorky guy. Got all mad. Just went out, played consistent basketball, left no doubt early. Man, you guys needed one of those games. You needed one of those games where you weren't questioning, all right, Obi Toppin, so how's this going to work again? That was not one of those games last night. Uh, ben writes this, so I just heard there's a 6.30 start for the Colts pregame huddle Sunday morning. Are you just going to extend the takeover to an all-nighter? Ben, I can tell you this right now, that is the plan. Now, the plan may itself be hijacked by me passing out, but that is the plan. And full disclosure, I've done this a couple of times before, of course, the Saturday leading up to race day Sunday for the Indy 500. And the latest I have lasted has been 2.30 in the morning. So what is the over-under this Saturday? So the latest I've ever done mm-hmm. is 2... Th- I think 2.30 in the morning was last... This last May. 2.30 in the morning. Do I get past 2.30 in the morning this Saturday to Sunday morning for the JMB takeover? I'm going to take the under. Yeah, I don't... Uh, I don't know... It depends on if I can get some really strong bed rest at the end of this week, mm-hmm. maybe get into Saturday morning a little bit without having to do a bunch of crap. Maybe. I think you could get to 2 o'clock, but I think 2.30 might be a yeah. stretch. Like my overall dream is they have a uh, – because all stations have to have some kind of you know show, public relations hour, right? And uh, they have one at 5 a.m. I kind of want to get to that. <laughs> That that would be bold. That's a bold bore everybody right to tears. No, seriously, two thirty over under. I am going to Ben try my damnedest. Promise. Uh, Aaron's at two three nine ten seventy. Aaron, welcome to the show. Hey man, you better take your old butt to bed somewhere. I'm, I'm telling you. See, that's a problem. <laughs> that, that that's the one thing. Like I, what, one of my favorite comments of all time. And you know, I, I live. I live by the book of Roadhouse and the quotes from Roadhouse. And when Sam Elliott says, hey, um, I'm going to get enough sleep when I'm dead, I understand that. But I just can't follow through the execution, Aaron, is well, I fall short here. And I have before. See, we, so, yeah. see, we hard here. I got you about five years, John. Yep. And it's like being on a roller coaster, the twin racer at King's Island. You know, when you're 18, 25, when mm-hmm. you're going up and your arms are all up, having fun, and then you turn 30 when you get toward the top of that hill, and, and then 35 hits when you're going down, and it don't stop. I mean, it comes fast. It does. Man, no, it does. Yeah. And you can't tell the youngins out here none. I mean, they, they learn the hard way. Yeah. Hey, I want to get to my um uh, Hey, uh, by the way, are you feeling better? Like I was just telling you, man, it's it's back and forth. So I just got to deal with what it is. Well, you know? you, you keep I, you keep the, the you keep the fourth going. A lot less of the back right. and a lot more of the fourth. All right. Oh, I got to. I got to. All I right, got to see my main man AR do something out here before <laughs> it's over and done with. But I just I, I heard the uh, Pacers coach mm? on uh, on this morning with yes. the, the guys and and he was talking about. You know, 
being mad or why he's not scoring as much. He wanted to do other things. And it, it seemed like he was contradicting himself a lot. And then he started bringing up, I thought this way before this interview, he brought up about how it worked, this method worked when 84, when he became a Boston Celtic. Rick, you're a good guy, but it's not 1984 no more, you know? And they try to have it both ways, general managers with all these professional teams. They draft someone, and then they come to the media and the fans and tell us why they did, because this guy is so great at this, he can do this and do that. And then when he get with the team, they want to adjust what he's doing to your program away from what he did that actually got him drafted. And I, my question to you is, out of the top ten players that was drafted this year, is our uh, Walker the only one that's not getting no playing time? Because yeah. he's a rebounder. You already got 1,200 shooters on the floor. I don't care if he can't shoot. The guy could get a rebound. How many games have we lost because we couldn't get that one defensive rebound or get an offensive rebound? And there's no way you could tell me he's not good enough to get on the floor because if this is his mentality. Uh, he will. At some point, he will. At some point, he will. I've never understood why well, with the Indiana Pacers, that every time, ever since Reggie was drafted, John, our first-round pick cannot – they have to uh, come behind someone. And there's no way you're going to tell me this guy the other night when we couldn't hit nothing or rebound, that Walker cannot get on the Let, uh, let me tell you, you know, something about both. i, I got to hit a break, Aaron. I hope you feel better. But I want to tell you both about Matherin and Walker, maybe more about Matherin here. Uh, this is twofold. Um, I have been in agreement – with Rick Carlisle, because Matherin has been more of a struggle out of the gate. So when he wasn't in at the end of the game or his minutes were fleeting at the end of the game, I felt that it was justified. Now, he also, he being Rick Carlisle, brought up the fact that uh, last night was a really good game by Matherin. Thus, in those important times, I don't even know how you describe the important times from last night because the game was over so quickly. Last night was a good night for him. Now, the final aspect of this is Benedict Matherin over and over again has told people what? What has he said? He wants to be coached hard. Coach him hard. Coach him hard. If he's not playing well, then he goes and sits. If he is, he stays out. It is simple, and all this stuff will work itself out. But he has said time and time again he wants to be coached hard. And that's what's happening. He's being coached with playing time consequences. I'm not suggesting that's going to be the case in years to come. I just don't think there's anything wrong with doing that right now, especially when all anybody ever talks about would be the significant depth on this team. And if you can go to somebody that is getting the job done when Matherin isn't, then you need to do that. 
Because the other thing you have to bear in mind, as I have brought up over and over, there are certainly more substantial expectations regarding this team and this group this year than there were even thought about a year ago. So you don't have a lot of time to jack around here. That's why I say I don't care what month we're in. If these are winnable games, I want to see them win. I thought that was a horrible loss to Charlotte at home on Saturday. Horrible loss to the Bulls a week ago last night. I mean, it was a horrible loss to Boston, but I mean, hell, I mean, why did the Pacers even get off the plane for that one? But nah, he wants to be coached hard. Coach him hard. That's what's happening right here. And you're going to see how he responds. I, I still th- that's that's more about how he wants to be coached, and then the understanding of the depth of the team. I, I think he's going to respond. But I certainly would agree with Rick in the way that he has handled him so far, because there have been moments when others were just simply put a better option. All right, quick break. We'll come back. If you're on hold, I'll get to you. Don't go anywhere. Top of the hour, Alice Golden setting the pace will join us. Pacers 152-111 over San Antonio last night. IU and Florida Gulf Coast 630, I believe. That's downstairs on 93 WIBC. Don Fisher, of course, and Eric Sur coming at you with that. The starter for the Hoosiers down in Bloomington. It's uh, Pat Chambers, the former Penn State coach. And uh, Isaiah Thompson from Zionsville. I ever tell about the story of his dad hanging out at an Indiana State party with me? I ever tell you that? I don't think I've heard that. His dad and Marcus Johnson. Marcus Johnson did, I think, the tallest keg stand in the history of Indiana State University at one of my parties. <laughs> it was impressive. Impressive. Uh, Isaiah Thompson. I don't know whether or not he's playing tonight. I know he's been a bit dinged up, I believe. But Florida Gulf Coast and IU down in Bloomington coming up later on this evening. 93-5107-5 The Fan. The Ride with JMV. Two more minutes. They could be miles off course. That's impossible. They're on instruments. This is going to be a real sweat. 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. Uh, This is from Greg. As a late 40s married guy going uh, to a place with no women sounds glorious. (laughs) Well, (laughs) maybe, I think, while there is some truth to that, it just made me laugh and choke at the same time, it may depend on the woman. (laughs) Maybe that's it. Oh, God, that made me laugh. That's good stuff right there. (laughs) I should apologize to everybody that ever attended one of my parties at Indiana State. That was uh, going to Rose Holman at the same time. Uh, no apologies necessary, though. They're probably incredibly more successful than I am. So uh, that's all the revenge I think they need in this case, right? Uh, Brad Spielberger, a little bit earlier, that podcast at 1075thefan.com. Uh, Greg Rakestraw, also earlier. Alex Golden of Setting the Pace. Uh, Thursday and Friday, we've got our Larcy Bourbon Locks, Luna Azul Tequila Shots, week number 10. That is going to be at Joe's Grill in Westfield. Back there with Nally and Miller and the gang. 
up in Westfield. I'm sure uh, Jim Romanak and the lovely Sarah will be a packed house up in Westfield at Joe's Grill on Thursday. And the Chaparral. Make sure I'm calling that right. Look that up on Southeastern. Blue Chaparral or Chaparral? I just remember on Southeastern last year on a Bud Light Blue Friday, it was a spectacular event. Spectacular. The Blue Chaparral? The Blue Chaparral is where we're going. God, it was a great time. I want to say that was like last December, too. Back coming up on Friday, Bud Light Blue Friday. You can join us there. Bill's up next to 239-1070. Hello, Bill. Hey, how you doing? Bill, I'm great. Hey, uh, you brought up an old, old time memory uh, with your Flesh Gordon. I did. <laughs> yeah, that was, uh, that was high school days. Um, it was showing at Tibbs Drive-In. Yes, it was. With Super Vixens. <laughs> and did I, we have a good time <laughs> I, I would, I've been waiting in line for that double bill right there and only only if it was followed up by hots or foul play or the swinging cheerleaders yeah. <laughs> I've got them I all brother to, I've got them all <laughs> I want to thank you for the memory <laughs> you got it man yeah hots <laughs> Was it foul play or foul ball or no no no? I take that back. I know it was a baseball reference. Squeeze play. Squeeze play. That was the twin bill with hots. <laughs> Dave's next at two three nine ten seventy. Dave, welcome to the show. Hey JV, how are you doing? Dave, I'm great. Good, good. Hey, you're talking to a guy who grew up in Orleans. You know where Orleans is? That is in Orange County, right down there. What is the? Uh, there's a new speakeasy. I don't know what that means. Speakeasy pizza place down there. Everybody talks about in Orleans. You know, I don't know it. I I don't get back there a lot, so there could be a lot of stuff going on. I love I, I love playing in Orleans. I love the gym yeah. in Orleans. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, great old pit gym. It is. Um, so uh, I actually started kindergarten at Eastern Green Schools and then moved. Halfway through the year to Orleans, and then I finished my, what, my school out What there. kindergarten? What year was that in kindergarten? Uh, it would have been 1979-80. Ah, so I was a little bit older. So you're the, what, the yeah. class, you're the class of 91, maybe, then? 92. 92. 92. Yep. Yeah, a little bit yep. older. But yeah, I would have been maybe uh, third grade or something like that back then. Yeah. So yeah. Well, you should yeah. have stayed. You should have stayed. But I, I did... Uh, <laughs> I like Orleans. There's a trucking company down out of Orleans, too, right? That's pretty famous. Hall trucking. Yeah, hall trucking. trucking. I played basketball with uh, the two brothers, the two twin brothers of the dad who started the company. You know, it's it's so. funny. When you look at the landscape of southern Indiana, um, it has been one of those, those small town type of areas that has probably benefited as much as anybody from class basketball. Even though it was kicking and screaming by most of us down there, Orleans has certainly benefited from that, I, I would think, oh. in terms of wins and losses, has it not? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So I've got a little basketball trivia for okay. you. Um, do you know that Orleans High School is where the first three-pointer in the state of Indiana, the first high school three-pointer yeah. in the state of Indiana was hit? I do because that was my senior year, and I didn't get it. I was I was trying to get it myself. <laughs> I was I was trying to get it myself, but I, I do I do I think I got I, I did I had five against Shoals, but I was late. I was much later than the Orleans game. Yeah. I know what you're talking yeah. about though. 
Yeah, we had the first game that year. We just got lucky. Yeah. A guy named John Tomlinson hit that three-pointer. Uh, wasn't even our star player, but he can, hit that first three-pointer. Can you possibly believe there was a time in which, and we played a lot, played, you know, all of my high school years, but one without a three-point line. That's ridiculous yeah. to think about today. I mean, absolutely yeah, absurd to even try to think about basketball anywhere without a three-point line. And that was my eighth grade year. I remember how excited we were that we were going to get a three-point line, and it was it was amazing. So uh, I remember how confined it was too. Nobody, you know, only certain guys got the green light. Yeah, exactly. You know, to not to not do it. But it's a good. You know, I didn't listen uh, to my coach anyway. I just went and jacked one up. I didn't care. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Three or four yeah. before you got yanked. <laughs> yeah. Well. Well, he had us out there playing in Chuck Taylor, so he he about needed his ass whipped anyway. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen. I, I appreciate you taking the call. It's my first time calling in. I just thought I'd throw out that little trivia. That's awesome, Dave. Well, I'm a big and, uh, fan of Orleans, by the way, too. Big fan. Well, well, uh, I tell you what, growing up in that part of the state, it's amazing how beautiful it is, and, and a lot of the, the benefit is being in a small town. And then when you end up moving out and moving into a larger larger place like Indianapolis, yep. take a lot of those values with you, and it really, I really think it makes a difference. There's I think a, that comes through on your show, too. Great deal of truth to that, Dave. Thank you for the call. Yep. There's a great deal of truth to that right there. Winshuler Spreadable Cheese is hey, the spreadability. You guys have, have really taken it to such a level where the president of Winshuler's is coming to town next week. The president wants to meet you guys for making Winshuler's spreadability so popular here in central Indiana. You can get it Kroger and Meyer locations and for more information and the the visit from the Prez. The president of Win Schuler's next week. Winshulers.com today. The ride with JMV. No, this isn't an argument. Yes, it is. No, it isn't. It's just contradiction. No, it isn't. Yes, it is. It is not. It is. <laughs> you just contradicted me. No, I didn't. Oh, you did. No, 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 no. You did just no, no, now. No, no, nonsense. Oh, look, this is futile. No, it isn't. 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. Branham thought about a three, now sends it down to the right baseline. Bassey has a size advantage on Nemhart, but he'll give it up to Sohan, who's got it right wing. He'll squeeze one off from there. Back rim, rebound, Jalen Smith. Pacers have done an excellent job on the glass. They're plus 10. Heel trails on the break, and Nemhart got in the ball up top for a dead-on three. All 15. Uh, Pacers last night, their win, 152 on the board, and that went over San Antonio. Mark Boyle, and by the way, Mark Boyle had me with saying squeezed off. I say that often, squeezed off. 152 on the board, and it was not close whatsoever. And as I mentioned yesterday, I wanted to see a consistent performance. I don't care if it's the early season, a consistent performance, and you got that. I don't care if San Antonio is not that great. I don't care if you felt like you didn't get to see Wimbanyama because the game was out of reach and there was no reason for him to play late. I don't care if you think that he didn't give you a great offensive performance. All of that was because of the Pacers and their level of play, really across the board. 
last night. We'll talk about that and more from setting the pace right now. Alex Golden joins us on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. I was trying to think of some things to where to start. I mean, obviously not Hunter for Rick Carlisle winning-wise. You can go there. Um, But that was as good as a consistent across-the-board effort as we've seen from this Pacer team really everywhere in a while. Yeah, this was obviously their best game of the season through seven games, and they couldn't miss. They were, you know, dead on from outside. They were hitting everything at the free throw line. It was just, if they shot it, it felt like it was going in. They played pretty solid defensively. They passed the ball well, rebounded the ball well. I mean, obviously, San Antonio, like you said, they're not the greatest competitor, but this was a great bounce back win after how many errors did they have in that final moment against the Hornets? So many opportunities to win that game, and this looked like a team that was hungry and determined to get back and uh, maybe focus more to the uh, or pay more attention to details, which they kind of struggled with there against Charlotte. I, th- I thought last night was important, at least in the short term, for a guy like Obi Toppin. And mm. I know it's early, and there has been you know not too much of an example of of his play and what he can do, what he can give. And again, early in the season, but the sample we had 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 not at all been really a good one unless he's going down the floor and, you know, dunking on his own and then flexing afterwards. I thought last night was much more of what we had hoped to see out of him than really what we had had a chance to see so far with him. Yeah, it's been kind of uh, one of those wait-and-see type of things with Obi Toppin as you're trying to figure out how he fits in with this starting five and where he's going to get those touches and how he's going to get involved. And I thought he said it perfectly last night in the post-game press conference, talking about how him and Bruce kind of do the dirty work and they just you know, get the points when they're there, but they're not really looking to score. They're kind of looking to set screens and just run the offense to let the focal point be more on tie and Miles and Ben. So I, I thought that was a really good point that he brought up to kind of give fans an understanding of what his role is on this team. And I think that Rick Carlisle talked about something that stood out to me was just his energy that he has on and off the court. Because here's a guy that is watching a lot of close games in the fourth quarter because Aaron Neesmith was getting the playing time there at the at the power four position. And Obi Toppin was probably the most excited person on the bench during that clutch game against Cleveland. So I was just Really excited to hear that and see that because it tells you Obi Toppin's not an ego guy. He's just happy to be here, and he's doing all the right things. Well, and and the other reason why, and this is the unfair thing, but I, I judge early season by also his encounter in New York, you know, from the start of his NBA career to how it ended this past year, and, and you're thinking about, all right, well, maybe there was a reason why he was subbed out late or didn't get legitimate playing time or always came off the bench or any of that, especially late in his career. When he doesn't have a good game, you start thinking, all right, so was all this excitement a bit of fool's gold? And, and last night, at least for a night, I thought he took some of that thought process negatively away. Yeah, and I mean, to be fair, with the Knicks, Julius Randle was – playing at an all-NBA level. So he was kind of stuck behind a guy that was better at, uh, better than him at that same position. So I thought last night was a great challenge for him because being able to guard Victor Wimbanyama is something that I was wondering who is going to guard Victor because yeah. I didn't think Miles would be able to be quick enough to stay with him. And I thought it's nice to have an athletic player like Obi Toppin that you can at least throw at a guy like a Victor. So I would assume, I know this is just me assuming, but they got the Bucks here in a couple of nights. I would assume he draws Giannis first just because he has the upside athletically. So he's still a work in progress defensively. I think he's 
you know, shown flashes of, of a decent rebounder and able to stay in front of his guy. But, you know, he, he talked about it. Trying to guard Wimby is a totally different animal that he's never had to do before. But if you look at previous Pacer teams the last couple of years, we would have had no option to throw at Victor in these games. And just having a guy like Obi that you can actually put on someone like that makes a heck of a lot of difference. So Alex Golden of setting the pace on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. What's what's been your level of thought regarding this defense so far this year? It's not looked good. I mean, <laughs> that's that's one way it's to looked, put it. It's so, looked a lot worse than even last year too, and that took a lot of effort. Yeah, yeah, and I think part of it too is just lineup combinations, trying sure. to get used to one another. They're playing a new defensive scheme too, and. When you're learning a lot and you're playing with new guys, I think it just takes time to gel. Like, there's 82 games in the season. We've played seven. So, I think last night was clearly their best defensive um, game collectively. And I think Rick Carlisle said as much today with uh, Kevin and Andy on on the wake-up call. So, I really enjoyed uh, hearing what he had to say about that. Just because defensively, like, this is a team that, yeah, the numbers are going to be skewed a little bit because of the blowout loss in Boston losing by 51 points. But you have to realize, you know, Miles is going to do what he does. Bruce Brown's going to do what he does, but your your best defensive unit is not your best five, so they're not going to always play together. They're going to have to have growth from a Tyrese, growth from Ben Mather, and growth from Obi Toppin in those areas when beforehand they hadn't really been very good defensively. But I think that Ben looked better last night. I think Buddy has been a little bit more assertive defensively too. Uh, Obi's grown defensively just this first seven games, so – it's a small sample size. They're, they're not anywhere close to being, you know, even top 25 at this point. But they're heading in the right direction, I would say, defensively over what they did um, uh, against uh, against the Spurs last night. And then even against the Hornets, they had some nice moments. They just, when they put up 50 points, they allowed 38. And I thought they, they let Charlotte hang around a little bit too much there in a game where they should have been up by double digits more or more. My thought on this is that because he is you know, the best player on the team, obviously offensively that's Tyrese Halliburton that he needs some steady improvement defensively and sometimes I wonder where that defensive ceiling for him might be where do you think it is yeah I I kind of struggle with that because I just don't really see it with him I we saw I forget what game it was they just kept attacking him and it might have been the Cavs game I, I can't remember but He's he's going to be the guy that gets attacked a lot in late game situations. If you do have your best defensive lineup out there with Tyrese at the point, and he's going to have to figure out how to fight through that and just hold up on his own a little bit more as an on ball defender, and, and particularly as an off ball defender too. So he's he's got a very high basketball IQ. I think he had a key still against the the Cavaliers in crunch time, being in the right spot at the right time, and he he's able to get those kind of defensive impactful plays, but. I think as an on-ball defender, he's just going to have to continue to build strength, add strength to his game, and just he cannot be a liability defensively. Obviously, what he does offensively, you cannot take him off the court. He's an incredible offensive player. But defensively, I think that he could be better than he has been, and I think we're going to see that. I think that's going to be the biggest part of his growth this year is just how can he be more impactful defensively as an on-ball defender? Do you think sometimes late in games, and you know, obviously you, you revert back to that, that Chicago game in particular a little over a week ago, somebody had brought to my attention that they felt, this was a quote brought on this show, that uh, they had to, the Pacers need to hide Halliburton defensively. 
Do you think it's at that point, or is that just coming off a game where obviously Billy Donovan had a directive out there, and we're going to get a two-man game going on here, and we're going to go right at Halliburton, and we're going to get the switch. And the Pacers have been a defensive team that so easily switch, and I think sometimes you can really see that get them in really bad situations for themselves. No, that's a great point. I mean, they, they have to make sure that Halliburton is not the guy guarding the other team's best player, and that's not going to happen a lot. He's probably going to guard the worst player, but if that worst player comes and sets the screen now and they're switching, they got exactly what they wanted. So I think they're going to have to make some adjustments to that. But honestly, I don't think it's to the point where you have to hide Tyrese. I just think Tyrese has to really step up and, and be that all-NBA level player that he wants to be. I mean, he's an all-star for sure. Is he all-NBA? He may be headed that way, but he's not there yet, and he's going to have a lot of opportunities to get there this season. But I think defensively he's going to have to really step up and, and like you said, not become someone they have to hide because – if that's the case, then they're going to just hunt him all the time in the playoffs. And I don't want to have Trey Young conversations here about Tyrese Halliburton because he's clearly six foot five. He can hold his own a little bit better than that. But I, I do think that it just comes down to mind over matter a lot of times. And physically, that's the biggest problem, I think, is just he's not a strong guy. I mean, that's nothing against him. He's not a super strong guy. He's more of a, a lanky guy. So if he's able to just be smart and they're able to – kind of scheme the way they play their defense that's going to be beneficial for Tyrese but I don't think they're at the point where they have to hide him technically uh, Alex Golden has said in the pace talks Pacers with us Pacers Jazz coming up tomorrow night right here another 5.30 bailing which means get out there and get it done if you're going to hijack 30 minutes of my time coming up tomorrow night Pacers <laughs> of course Jazz in town we'll talk about that in, in just a second as well uh, so I had a caller bring up Benedict Mather a little bit earlier and felt that Rick Carlisle was not going about coaching him up accurately um, and taking them out in situations. And and I was quick to remind a couple of things. One, one Alex was Benedict Matherin has deserved to come out at some of these times because he just hasn't played well. And the Pacers feel that they have other options if somebody at that level is not playing well and he has been subbed out. The other thing that occurs to me is that Benedict Matherin, when talked to in the offseason, constantly talks about wanting to be coached hard. That's what he wants. Thus, I don't think this is a bad situation the way Rick Carlisle is handling him in year number two so far at all. Do you? No, I think Rick actually is handling it the best way. And, and, and what he put out today with Kevin and Andy, I know I'm referring to that, but I just I thought what he said was great. He said last night was probably his best game of the year. And if people are expecting him to score 20 points a night, then you know they're just going to be disappointed. They're looking at this the wrong way. Ben Matherin wants to be great, so he's going to have to de- develop in different areas. I think – the one thing we've definitely seen improvement from is his passing ability. Uh, has a much better vision of the court when he's driving. And sometimes, to a fault, he's not looking for his own shot and he's trying to find others. I, I go back to the Cavs game. There was one where he had like a wide open lane to the basket, but he was waiting for Miles to get open on a pick and roll. That instead of just taking the layup, he was waiting for Miles and kind of threw it behind him, uh, behind himself. And, and I think Miles actually made the layup, but it was one of those things where he could have just taken the layup. So. We're seeing growth from Ben. It's just a different growth than I think people are accustomed to, and it's not popping on on the statistics or the box score. So for me, Ben Matherin wants to be co-charged. You said that. That's one thing he has said multiple times. He wants to be a great two-way player in this league. So he's going to have to learn the hard way. And there's been times where his defense has been really bad. He just loses focus out there, kind of lets his guy get by him. Or if he's playing off-ball defense, he'll watch the ball. I think there was a clip out there where he, like, ended up leaving his guy for like 10 seconds where he was just watching the ball and someone got a backdoor cut wide open to the basket. 
And it's like little things like that are just going to help him grow and become better. But he's in his second year. He's he's in a different role than he was last year, being the scorer off the bench. He's a starter, playing against starter-level talent. I think Rick Carlisle, you know, the guy just got 900 career wins. If you think he's coaching him wrong, then I just think that you're looking at it the wrong way because Rick Carlisle has done a lot of player development throughout his career, and I think he knows exactly what he's doing. I just I just go back to Matherin, it seems like, and he said he wants to be coached hard, so you're, yeah. you're being coached hard in this case, so that's that's what you end up taking. Alex Golden joins us. Uh, Bruce Brown, this roller coaster ride, is it going to level out here some at some point? Are you talking offensively with what he is? Yeah, or? just everything so far. It just seems like a roller coaster to me. I look at that wrong? I think a little bit. I think offensively we've seen some output from him just because it's what he's been asked to do in those games. But I think defensively he's drawing the best matchup, and that's just tough. I mean, he's playing a bigger role than he was playing last year at Denver. Obviously, that's a much more talented team than this Pacers team. He's the highest-paid guy. I mean, it's one of those things where I think with Bruce, my expectations for him are like, okay, any points that he you know attributes is – okay, those were nice points. I'm not really sitting here thinking, oh, Bruce has got to get us 15 a night. I'm not expecting that from him. I'm expecting good defense, good playmaking, and then whatever he adds offensively, you take it. But I think you got to look at the offense. You know, Tyrese, to me, he was more assertive last night, but he hasn't been uh, the other, you know, six games of the year. I think Tyrese and Ben have to be more assertive looking for their shots and miles, too, because they're probably the three most gifted offensive players in the starting lineup. And like I said, Bruce is going to be a beneficiary of what Tyrese is able to do. And the three-point shot's been pretty consistent, I think, if I, if I look right at the stats. I haven't checked it in the last couple of days. But he's shooting a good percentage, as far as I can recall. And to me, I'm not expecting him to be the savior or anything like that. I just think he's a really good player that's going to help with this team, try to grow their de- defensive identity, and then offensively just be an added bonus. Yeah, and I guess that's where I look at it. Because what do you expect him to be, especially if there's still, you know, a really bad defensive team? And I, I know that he individually is not going to pick this up to the level that yeah. we're all looking for. But I, I guess in terms of overall output, what are you looking for for him? Because it, it does seem, and maybe I'm looking at this wrong, I don't know if I'm just looking at it from one end, the defensive end, or the offensive end in and, and game after game. I don't feel like I'm just kind of looking at a box score and going, it's been a bit up and down. That's just the way that, that I've watched and I've felt him so far. Is there any aspect of his game where he can each and every night consistently solidify to where maybe I would feel better? Or am I just looking at this wrong altogether? Yeah, I mean it's it's a tough it's a tough thing because I think he just hasn't really been involved consistently with the offense, and I think that's kind of been the case for a lot of guys on this team besides Tyrese Halliburton and probably Miles Turner because there's been nights when Ben Matherin's gone on like four or six from the field or four or seven where they're just not getting a lot of looks, and that's part of the problem. But that's part of the uh, issue, I guess you could say, with having such a, a deep roster. Now defensively, when you're guarding the best player, like if you're guarding Donovan Mitchell and he scores 38, like. Yeah, that's going to be tough. I mean, Donovan Mitchell's an all-NBA player, so Bruce is always going to have the toughest defensive uh, assignment, which makes it, you know, like, okay, the guy he was guarding scored this many points. But like you said, it's a, it's a team effort. I, I just think that he makes them better. Like, as much as I love Andrew Nimhard, and I think he's a really good player, I think Bruce Brown at this point in his career is better than Andrew Nimhard. But I, I still think that Andrew Nimhard has a higher ceiling. But I think Bruce Brown is just kind of who he is, what he is. I think he's a really good role player that doesn't have an ego and he's just going to do whatever is asked of him on any given night. So 
kind of a, a good a comparison for me is kind of like a Danny Green type of player. Yeah, it's funny. I look at it this way, and and I think if you look at it, there are comparable numbers between he and Neesmith. But I just have this vision of Neesmith being more consistent so far than Bruce Brown. Mm. Yeah, I mean, Neesmith's been awesome. So there's no doubt about that. I mean, you can make the case that Neesmith's probably been the second best player. I mean, aren't their numbers comparable, though, across the board? Yeah, I mean, yeah, they're comparable and they're kind of in a similar role, so to say. But I just think Neesmith is a more aggressive player. I don't think Bruce is super aggressive, especially offensively. You don't really see him look to create for himself very often. Uh, He'll shoot the corner threes or he'll shoot threes on the wings when. He's just kind of rotating around the offense, just trying to find the opening. But, you know, we saw some moments, and again, 17 points on pretty good shooting against the Cavs, and it was like those points were needed because Tyrese was having a rough night and Buddy Hill came on on the floor. So I think that this group has just got so many guys that are kind of up-and-down players to a degree, JMV, where you're not going to get consistency on an 82-game, you know, regular 82-game yeah. schedule just because you don't have a t- you don't have a second fiddle to Tyrese. You kind of have – a hodgepodge of guys that can be that on any given night, but you just never know who it's going to be. Well, and, and I, I remind everybody too, because everybody says, Hey, they're only what, you know, seven or whatever games in uh, right now. And uh, you know, you're, you're over the top. Well, I only have seven games to go on. So I'm just going on <laughs> what I've seen so far. And I'm, I'm yeah. quite sure that's exactly what the coaching staff and how they're looking at it as well. I just, I'm, I, I know I look at it, you know, differently from what they call a, a different lens here, but that's just how I viewed both Neesmith and Brown so far in this kind of early thumbnail sketch. And Alex Golden joins us from setting the pace on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. Uh, Buddy Heald off the bench at 19 last night. And I always say you can count on Buddy. I I don't want to think about a Pacer world without Buddy on it. Is he showing that he right now is best suited coming off the bench or might there become a point to where the offense in that starting lineup again is necessary? Again, seven games in, I'm just wondering what we've seen so far, this small sample, and what you think. Yeah, I think right now what we can really just take away from is that it doesn't really matter if Buddy Hill starts or comes off the bench because Buddy Hill is going to do what Buddy Hill does, and that's put the ball in the basket and be an effective basketball player. And I think, honestly, this this system fits him so well right now. I agree. That that it's one of those things where if you do take him off this team, you know, he's on an expiring contract, there's always going to be that looming, uh, you know, thought there is like, okay, what is, what's the long-term future here with Buddy? But, yeah, I think if they didn't have Buddy, they'd be really hurting because offensively there's times when they really need him in the game. And so – does he need to start? I don't think so, but I think there's ways they can make the rotation work where maybe he's like the first sub in for a Ben Matherin and plays a little bit more with Tyrese, knowing that him and Tyrese have that synergy together. And then we saw how good Matherin was against second units last year. Maybe let Ben run with the four guys that are coming off the bench at times and kind of let him get more of the, the focal point offensively there instead of kind of playing second fiddle or third fiddle to, to Tyrese or Miles with the starting five. So I think there's ways, ways they can balance it. But Buddy Hill's shooting, I mean, seven of eight last night, just incredible. This guy is an elite-level player and at, at shooting the basketball, and the Pacers have got to love that because if you look at their shot chart, that's all they do is shoot threes or layups. So Buddy Hill does a lot of good things well. But I would say besides shooting, Buddy's improved as a passer this year, really showcased a lot of playmaking abilities. And his defense has gotten better. And so for him to get on the court more, he's going to have to play more defense. And that's why you saw him play 30 minutes against the Cavaliers in the game that the Pacers came back from behind and won after they gave up that huge 17-point lead. It's because 
Buddy was playing good defensive basketball, and he had good moments, too, against the Hornets where he knocked the ball out of bounds off P.J. Washington, I think it was, and just was able to impact the game in more than one way. Can you imagine there are some Pacer fans out there that, that think about, have thought about a, a life in a world on this Pacer team without Buddy Heald, which makes zero sense to me. None. Yeah, I mean, he's the perfect he's the perfect type of player for this system offensively. I will say the only reason why it would make some sense is just because of how many players they have at this same position. Right, it's just there's a lot of guards on this team. Like you got a Ben Shepherd, and I thought it was interesting because Rick Carlisle talked about Ben Shepherd in the preseason and said, you know, he plays very similarly to Buddy Heald. And the fact that he even dropped Buddy's name and how he plays kind of made you wonder, like, okay, is this going to be like Buddy's potential replacement if they do end up not being able to resign him or they trade him at some point this season? Because I think Ben Shepherd has shown a lot of. Uh, a lot of did you just say trade him by the way did you just say trade did you just reference <laughs> trading him I, I i gotta say my god i don't want to know because I, I like ben shepherd too yeah. but not right now in that no, capacity no, no, no. I'm and not saying that. i'm and, just saying yeah and i mean with this team with this team buddy you mentioned it earlier he fits perfect and that's up for kevin and chad to figure this crap out but if yeah, you yeah. can't watch this team and notice just how important Buddy is, then I think you have your head up your butt as far as basketball is concerned, honestly. Right up your butt. Yeah. I mean, it's not like the Jonathan Taylor situation, but it's in a similar vein because you're thinking about it like this. I think they want him here long term. I think they want him here for the next couple of years, at least maybe a three-year contract, something like that. I think it all just comes down to money because they got to figure out how they spend this money how they're going to get playing time, how they're going to get better, how they're going to take that next step. Now, I do think Buddy is important, but if they can get a, a starter-level player next year and they don't want to eat into their cap space by giving Buddy excess amount of money, then there's a, a different side of it you have to look at, and that's the financial side. That's the business side. But from an on-court standpoint, Buddy Hill belongs in this system. He's a great fit with Rick Carlisle's system. And Rick Carlisle loves him. He loves Rick Carlisle. Him and Tyrese have great synergy together. They're great friends on and off the court. So it – he needs to be here, I think, for this team to like just have that extra player, that guy that can kind of be that microwave off the bench for him at times and be a starter-level player that, that's coming off the bench. Like You can't have too many of those. So I'm with you. It's, it's a weird thing to think about. I love it. Where this team would, hey, the fans love him, too. I mean, Friday night against the Cavs, I was there. The fans were chanting Buddy's name after he just slipped on the floor trying to make a hustle play. So I think he's becoming one of the biggest fan favorites. I'm just telling you. This, this no, no, is, no. I, I'm I'm right there. Everybody thinks, yeah. oh, you're Miles this and Miles that. And while I support Miles, I, I love Buddy Heal, man. Yeah. I do. He's, he's been awesome. And he's, he's not he's a not shot taker. He is a maker. He mm-hmm. is. And, and I have seen it, and you have too, so many times so far this year, yeah. is watching defenses scramble rotationally when they realize that he is about to get the ball, I mean, it, it is it is a joy to watch him play offense in this era of basketball. That type of guy is necessary for any team's success, much less this one. Oh. So, yeah, for sure. And you're, and you're right about the defensive scrambling. Oh, I, I love it. At the, I was at the Hornets game, and it was so funny to watch because. They had made an, a defensive rotation, and somehow they left Buddy Hill wide open for three. As soon as he caught the ball, Steve Clifford just threw his hands in the air, like, "How do we leave this guy open?" So, you know, it's <laughs> well, he did that little ball fake like, to the right. He did the ball fake to the right, and was that Neesmith that was in the corner? And defensively, somebody went at after Neesmith, and I thought, "My God, what are you doing here?" I, I mean, yeah. 
you got to pick your poison on that one, I guess. Yeah. I mean, Neesmith's been playing good, but not he's yeah. not the shooter that Buddy is. You live with the three for Neesmith. You tell that Buddy you're going to wide open three, and that's like shooting a layup. So, yeah, I mean, uh, Turner talked about it after the game Friday. Like, he lives in the gym, and I think you love that. Like, I think any basketball fan in Indiana will love hearing a guy just puts in the work tirelessly. And it was great, too, because being able to be there a little bit with the media some now, getting there early to watch him warm up, him and Isaiah Jackson warming up at the same time on Saturday against the Hornets, and him and Jim Boylan were kind of joking with one another because Jim Boylan's like, okay, we got to go over on this side because Buddy won't change his routine whatsoever when he warms up, and Buddy's like, yeah, I'm not changing, Jim. That's all I love, but I'm not changing what I do, and that's what you love about Buddy. He does not change anything with how he uh, warms up, gets in his routine, and it's just a, it's a cool dynamic to see. Best pure shooter here since Reggie Miller? I think you have to say so. I mean, we've had some good shooters, Doug McDermott, Bojan at some moments, but yeah, I mean, there's no doubt about it. I love Doug McDermott too because I can't get drunk enough to think about that's even a comparison. (laughs) No, I know, I know. I'm just saying. I like McDermott. Nobody, no. Hey, I put you on the spot right there, Alex. Uh, I mean, I, I, it, 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 like I said, he's he's a maker, and this group needs that. And here's the other aspect. They the way they play defense or lack thereof, they can't afford any offensive mishap nights or they will get yeah. buried. I mean, you've got to keep up that offensive pace and that scoring average because your defense is not ready for prime time to elevate itself yet. So you you got to keep on scoring the basketball and that that type of weapon is just invaluable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, especially with how bad their defense has been through the first seven games it's just i think they have the worst defensive rating in the league right now so they've got to make improvements that's kind of been the the talk the emphasis at camp we got to get better defensively and you know carlisle said it best talk is cheap right uh so we've yet to really see this team make drastic strides defensively but i think they have made minor improvements just from what you see from game one to where they are in game seven so i think it's going to get better and we saw last year it took this team a little bit of time to really get going Around that 20-game game mark last year, they really played well about the December. And uh, had you thinking this could be a playoff team before Ty went down? So that's kind of my – I'm just kind of waiting to see what happens after they get through this home stretch. They go on the road a little bit. Can they keep this level of play up offensively, and how does their defense improve? Yeah, I think it has to lift them up right now. Hey, by the way, too, that floor for the in-season tournament, while Ooh. everybody joked about how hideous it was, I, I don't care what it looks like, though, but Alex, I don't want – you tempt fate with sliding in injuries. We know how injuries go with the Pacers and with the Colts. I don't think you want to jack around with that. Know what I mean? And when, when Buddy yeah. busted his ass and then Halliburton went down again, I mean, all, that's what worries me. I don't really care what it looks like. I just don't want these guys sliding around like it's the noon cafeteria at the elementary school. Yeah, it was a slippery court. It was more like a slip and slide than it was a basketball court. And yeah. You have to realize, like, that was a really high, highly competitive game, too, like really fun back and forth. And you have to think these guys are probably freaking out every time about their footing <laughs> on the court. Well, and you, you think about that stuff, though. You do. You do. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and these guys I, cut a lot quicker and harder than any of, any of us ever thought about cutting. So just uh, yeah, different. I, I mean, I played on a court that was out of concrete one time, and we had to actually cancel the game in the middle of the third quarter because there was so much condensation coming up in the, from the ground. It's like – it's one of the most scary things. You're just walking, all of a sudden, you just—it's like you're slipping on a banana peel. Uh, you're stepping on a banana peel. So, yeah, it's—it's uh, it's one of those things where the NBA—they're going to have to figure that out because the fresh coat of paint shouldn't have that much effect on 
how these guys are playing basketball, you would think. Setting the pace with Alex Golden? Keep on keeping on. I saw you got that credential now. Go there and cover those games. Yeah, I'm going to the games that I can. I appreciate them allowing me this opportunity. It's a lot of fun to be able to do this with the podcast. And then um, I also have a blog that I started this year. I'm okay. doing 10 thoughts after every game called uh, – the the blog's called the theblueandgolden.substack.com. So if you guys want to check that out, that would be awesome too. I, I try to do post-game blogs every single time that they play a game. So obviously just doing 10 thoughts, uh, what I saw from that game. So you guys can check that out there. But JMB, I always appreciate the time, and, and thank you for having me. The back. awesome Chrissy Myers gets you that uh, credential. She's awesome. Chrissy is the best, right? Oh, she's the best. The best. So, yeah. <laughs> They're all down there watching Pink tonight, though. They're not caring about basketball tonight. It's about Pink. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't blame them. They need to get a little break from the, the long NBA season. My brother, keep on keeping on. Appreciate you. Yes, sir. I'll see you later. So Alex Golden setting the pace and his a new blog, Substack.com. Quick break. James is like, waving his arms, flailing his hands. Ooh. Hit a break. We'll come back. Hooting the Blowfish tickets in the next 30. You can win them. Coming up. The Ride with JMV. Why not, Mr. Venkman? Because you did not use the magic word. What is the magic word, Mr. Venkman? Please. 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. They're in front by 20. And Halliburton will send it right sideline. Brown gives it up and from there healed back to the top. Shot clock at 10. Halliburton left side near the hash mark. Brown goes mid post left to Smith. He whips it back to the other sideline and Halliburton hits another three once again. Extraordinary ball movement. Mark Boyle right there. Pacers Radio Network. Pacers 152 points in a dismantling of the Spurs last night. Utah in town coming up tomorrow night. Uh, Pink in town. How many of you going to see Pink? Let me see a show of hands. Pink? Carl, you going? You look like you're a big... Carl's going. Carl's in here. Used to work at E! Entertainment Television. Did you know that? Carl did. You're part of that Kardashian show back then, Carl? Past my day. Oh, really? What were you yeah, a part I, of? I left e? in 2006. And uh, you missed, uh, what's her name here from Kat Martinsville? Sadler. It was Kat Sadler. Ooh, yeah. Hello. <laughs> 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 Somebody else back in the day went, uh, no. <laughs> Get out of here. What did you What did you produce at E? I didn't produce anything. I watched the programming. I was a... I was uh, in master control. Oh, you were? Yeah. Master control. Oh. Yeah. So you did all that stuff. Basically then. watched a lot of bad programming um, intermixed with the Howard Stern show. Oh, you were part of the Howard Stern show. Well, not there. part of it. I'm going to say part it. of it because you're here right now. <laughs> yeah. Part of it. It's Carl. Thanks for joining us, Carl. Carl hung up on me about three times, I think, <laughs> on Saturday morning on the Home and Garden show when I was trying to call Pat, Denny, and Terry. <laughs> Yo, Carl, come on, man. You wouldn't do that to Stern. Uh, Marcellus at 239-1070. Hello, Marcellus. Hey, what's up, my friend? How you doing? Marcellus, I'm spreading the joy to everyone on this Tuesday late afternoon in Indianapolis. <laughs> yes, we need joy. We need, yes, we, we do. We need a little joy. <laughs> hey, man, I just called to give you your props, man. Uh, at least this year, uh, C.J. Stroud is uh, <laughs> hitting his stride. He is you know, a little and, good right there, isn't he? Just a little bit. Yeah. 
Yeah, you called it, man. Uh, now, you know, granted, you know, first year is great. Yeah. You know, when uh, de- defenses get film on you and, you know, the next year, you know, see how well you adjust to it. But right now, man, hey, you called it. This AFC South is, uh, is starting to turn out to be something that I think to look forward to the next 10 years if everybody stays healthy. I mean, uh, you know, you know I wanted Levis. You know, yes, right. Uh, and look what's look what's starting to emerge. Oh, I know what you hey, listen. You can be proven right with this small sample size so far, too, regarding yeah. Will Levis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I mean, look, man, look. Um, we got Ar, we got Levis, we got Stroud, and we got my man down in Jacksonville. Should be some fun quarterbacking, man, in the next few years. You know, if Ar comes back healthy, hopefully. Remember the know, early hopefully. results around here. It was Levis, but then the latter portion of that uh, that yeah. uh, conversation came down to Shane Steichen and what he liked, and it was Anthony Richardson that was his choice right there. So there was there were some yeah, early, yeah. early thoughts before everything really got underway of Will Levis. So. Yeah, yeah, and uh, you know he was right there. He was yeah. right there, at number four, right there. You know, but, <laughs> he was hey, right there in a, okay. a lot of numbers. <laughs> <It was. laughs> I know, man. I know. Hey, but uh, what do you what do you see for the Colts this weekend, brother? I mean, the Patriots. I know they're not. You know, one thing I do know is that our offense seems to be sputtering a little bit. And one thing about Belichick, he can still scheme a good defense. Well, um, yeah, and, and we, we, we saw man, man, my, what they did last yeah. year. What he did last year ended up getting Frank fired, if you remember, about this time last year, too. Uh, actually, to this yeah. date, Frank was fired on this date a year ago, I believe, right? This date? <laughs> right. Yeah, so yeah, no, right. Here's, I have enforced a no-gag rule, and I would consider the Colts going over there the latter portions of the week. Um, yeah. And getting started against New England, two and seven and all, what have you. We know these two teams, two and seven, three and four, whatever. They're not that far apart, or what? Four and five, I should say. Uh, they're not that right. far apart right here. There's a no gag rule. You can't go over there and lose that, and then go to a bye week. You, you'll you'll lose a lot of folks if you yak that one up early in Germany Sunday morning. Yeah, yeah, uh, but you know, I mean, my man didn't turn the ball over. Johnny, Johnny Ringo yeah. turned it over. Well, I mean, and, and John, yeah, and Johnny, and Johnny Ringo, <laughs> he wasn't any good. But the good thing he did was not turn it over. So that was enough yeah. in that game with Kenny Moore's exploits. Hey man, look one one last thing yep. too, man. Do you think we would have won that game if Kenny Moore hadn't had those two picks? I mean, when you when you look at the scores and when those picks happened. They were moving on us pretty good with the run game. It looked like we had lost a little gas on the D. I just saw deja vu, man, and then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, Kenny. You know, um, I think they I they, it, it they give you enough like opportunity, Marcellus, to be skeptical about the outcome without Kenny Moore. So, yeah, I wouldn't yeah. want to roll the dice on without Kenny making those two plays on the outcome. Because uh, we've we've been on that side of it a lot recently, so yeah. the outcome probably yeah. wouldn't. That offense was wasn't about to do anything. No man, not at all, man. Well, look, let's go, Colts. Got Marcellus. <laughs> thank you for the call. Talk to you on Saturday night. Bill's up next. Hello, Bill. JMV, how you doing today? Bill, you join me on Thursday and Friday this week. Is that the, the truth? By the way, it's the chaparral on Southeastern. 
the Chaparral, not the Blue Chaparral, the Chaparral Bud Light Blue Friday. And last year, it was a humdinger on Southeastern Avenue. Had a great time. Southeastern and Arlington, I believe, in that general vicinity is where we're going on Friday. That's right. That's right around there. And yep. and then uh, on Thursday, uh, up in Westfield, uh, uh, it's going to be kind of cool for me because when I was in college, I did a, a term paper on the Underground Railroad. Yes. And the, un- the Underground Railroad ran through Westfield. And then uh, the trail split off into three different directions and everything. One going toward Detroit, the other Chicago, the other one just going straight north. So uh, looking forward to getting up there to Westfield and everything. I know Joe's has got some pizza. Yes. But I wanted to get your I wanted to get your opinion on on the this in season tournament that the Pacers are going to be participating in. They're in Group A, uh, and I think. Whoever wins each group advances, and then and then they have a couple wild cards that, that advance also. But what's your opinion on uh, on that tournament? Is it? Uh, I read something today where they saw that that, yeah. that the television ratings would be better. But I, I, what do you think? I'll be honest with you. I, I haven't. I, I don't know if I'm going to really be able to base an opinion until I see it through its entirety. Um, you can look at it right now, and, and the reason why you look at it this way is because there are still games being played in November, and that's how you feel with a lot of these NBA games in November in general, and that's that's kind of the concept of, of wanting to change that particular attitude. So I think we have to wait until we see how this all breaks down and, and turns out as to whether or not it was enjoyable to go to these links and do it, or if you're just going to come up with normal NBA November basketball and the tune-in, tune-out type of stuff with everything else going on in general. I think we have to wait and see until the end. Yeah, I agree. And and uh, you, somebody that makes decisions can can nix this hideous floor design where they got the, the these awful colors and everything that uh, just make the. I mean, it just it just makes it look like uh like it's Spain, you know, or like it's the Euro League or something like that. I don't know. I, I'm not a, a big fan of that at all. But what I am a big fan of is the mighty fighting football Hoosiers, buddy. They're going to go to <laughs> Illinois this weekend, and they're going to win, and we're going to we're going to They got a path. Be, they got a path. Be, I know. <laughs> they, I, they, got a, they got a path to six is what you're trying to tell me, Billy, is what you're saying. Well, they got a path to five and five, and then they have to, they have to go up and win at Purdue. Yeah, path and, to six. And that's, uh, that's, that's, uh, that's going to be the big kicker. But, yeah, uh, buddy. Anyway, look look forward to seeing you guys on uh, on Thursday. See you, you got it, Billy. Thank you very much. I mentioned this about the floor. Uh, the floor to me, I don't care what it looks like. I just don't want these guys sliding around and get injured. We've been through this way too many times. I think we're a little bit sensitive slash delicate to injury types of situations because normally it does happen around here, and that's what concerns me. The sliding, the slipping, the awkward falls that we have been seeing on these decals and this painted over floor. I don't care about the colors. I don't like that aspect of it. James, what were you going to tell me? I've had two people call in. They said that the Chaparral, it is on Southeastern. I think Emerson is what they said. Emerson? Yeah. Ah, just a little bit. Man, I'm just screwing everything up. Just a little bit. It's so it's good. not it's near good. Arlington, but Arlington's not that far from Emerson. So it's closer to Emerson and not Arlington. I would guess. I Both no Emerson, Arlington are, Emerson and Arlington, Arlington run north and south. They're not that far from one another. I think I'm in the general vicinity. You might be. I think people are nitpicking on me right now. They might be. I have no I'm really idea. sensitive about nitpicking, too. Very <laughs> sensitive over here.
I'm going to start with Carl. Carl's nitpicking constantly during the break. I'm really Mr. Sensitivo right here. Quick break. We'll come back. Hootie and the Blowfish tickets coming up on the other side. Sit tight. The Ride with JMV. This is your brain on drugs. Any questions? 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. Crank it up here. That's Darius Rucker at lead. Hootie and the Blowfish. Did you know that they're coming to Ruoff Home Mortgage Music Center? June the 8th. That's a Saturday, by the way. Along with Collective Soul and... uh, Edward McCain, number nine at 239-1070. You can go get these tickets. I know it's going to be a bit of a wait, but you'll know that coming up in June, not too far after the greatest spectacle in racing, you will have tickets to go see Hootie. Unless Chris Denary, the voice of the Pacers, buys every last ticket up. Hootie and the Blowfish. Collective Soul and Edwin McCain. Number nine at 239-1070. Do that all week long. Rich asked this question, JMV, what is on the Jiffy Burger? Uh, My burger at Ford's Garage, the Jiffy Burger, has peanut butter on it. It has peanut butter. It is good, too. Now, today, today I had the uh, Bison Burger. Big fan of Bison. Shout out to Jeff and to Richard. We went up for lunch today, Michelle and uh, Eric Wilson of Andy Moore, Buick GMC and I, and I uh, did the bison. I um, Obviously, you can tell I'm 53 years old, and I, I think I kind of had a 53-year-old's lunch. I had uh, bison burger and green beans. <laughs> I'm, so, I'm, so, I'm not going to apologize for loving green beans. Especially good season green beans, right? Not going to apologize for it. It's not just Southern Indiana. Green beans are awesome. Uh, that was me today. At JMV, does McConnell understand and accept his role of garbage time minutes or staying ready in case of injury or does he get frustrated and ask for a trade from what is said that he is cool and being professional with uh, with his role right now so that's what they say jason ellis says this so jmv i am rose holman class of 1999 how successful can i be if i listen to you six to seven days a week on various platforms I just know this, as much as I made fun of Rose Holman with back when I went to Indiana State, it was just dudes over at Rose Holman. Um, they all went on to have pretty fantastic careers after Rose Holman. And I always understood that. Uh, JMV, I think I just heard you say Hootie and the Blowfish tickets. I don't think I said fish. Maybe that was a little Southern Indiana JMV coming out of me right there. I don't think so, though. Uh, T-Mobile, Ray, you got a deal for me? Hey, no, John. Yeah, well, well you know what? I do got a deal <laughs> All for right. you. All um, right. I, I know. Um, well, let me just say this first off. I've been ducking my tail 
I haven't been listening to the show in about a week or so. Um, that's impartially because the Colts have been losing. Uh, three straight was, was tough on me. I had to go in the dark hole at that point. Okay. Um, <laughs> but uh, I'm back now, baby. We're back. We're back on the winning side of things, so you know I get to show my face around town. Now. I got now. You got to go out there and get me a great deal on something. You ready? Uh, Give me a great you, you deal. You know what? You know what? I'm 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 just gonna pop up on you one day and just hand you a phone. I love it. And, I love that I idea. Ask no questions. How I got it? <laughs> no. <laughs> hey man, I I come from an era. I'm not asking any questions. I don't want any answers. There you go. Hey, hey I, I want to say this too, John. Um, they need to get rid of your boy Miles Turner. Trade him away. What? He, he what? I don't want your phone now. Away. Hey, T-Mobile Ray, I don't want your phone now. I'm mad. I'm very sensitive. <laughs> he really mean that? T-Mobile Ray, call again tomorrow. I'm going to rip your ass tomorrow, T-Mobile Ray. What? Why would you do that? Hey, Winshuler Spreadable Cheese. The prez of Winshuler's coming to town next week to preside over all of ye that has the love the love affair with the spreadability. Win Schuler's spreadable cheeses inside the lounge via YouTube Live. That's the sponsor. Winshulers.com. James, great job. Carl, I you did what you did, Carl, over there. Great job. Trackside, seven o'clock. Talk to you tomorrow again at three. Have a great night. <laughs>